Hello and welcome to King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. Here today with uh, Todd Dershel and Mike Molesky, uh, we are going to be talking uh, some Champions of the Galaxy today. Very excited about that. Um, but first, just wanted to give a quick update on a couple of little things um, that have been mentioned recently. Um, you know, first off, I uh, wanted to give another shout out to the guys over at Uncharted Territory um, for not only being on the podcast last time, but also they had me on to, to record. They haven't released that one just yet, uh, but they will be soon. So uh, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, you folks hearing that conversation because it was, it was a lot of fun. Um also uh, wanted to uh, talk about the book that Chad Olson specifically had suggested last time, The Strap, A Complete History of Sam Mushnick's Missouri State Championship by Roger Deem. Uh, I went ahead and ordered the book and uh, have, have been reading it. Um, and it, it really is one of the best books of its kind that I have ever read. Um, you know, there are some great books out there, um, uh, about other titles, um, that I certainly don't want to diminish, you know, that, that have covered, um, other, other territories. Um, but there's something about the, um, the way that Deem has decided to really make this a biography of that title belt and talk about the, the individual matches uh, and feuds and competitors that held the title, fought for the title, um, that make it really illuminating. And it, it ends up being almost a, a wonderful kind of how-to, and in some cases, how not to book a title. Um, and it's it's so it's wonderful for any wrestling historian, anyone who's interested in St. Louis Wrestling Club, and absolutely valuable for any uh, promoters out there who play um legends of wrestling or champions of the galaxy for that matter a lot of great insight and certainly for people who play legends um there's just so many names that that we have access to that have cards in the game that held this title harley race um johnny valentine jack briscoe um ted dibiase uh and, and lots of names that we would of course love to one day see in the game who have held this title including guys like uh you know gene kaniski terry funk bob Backlund. Dick Slater, Ric Flair, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of really cool names. Um, it was, it was one of the most prized titles in, in, in wrestling in the territory days during the seventies. Um, and, and I, again, I just, I can't recommend that book enough. Um, it's been, it's been a fantastic read. Um, speaking of legends, uh, as this podcast drops, uh, there has been a, a big announcement in the Legends of Wrestling card game world with the, you know, arguably uh, headliner, maybe co-headliner. I don't know. We'll see what other names get announced. Um, we will see uh, as time goes on. But the Black Friday announcement um, has been the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldogs, Dynamite Kid is a huge signing for the game. The artwork looks fantastic. Cannot wait to have those cards in hand. Uh, Todd, tell us a little bit about these cards. Well, you know, definitely super duper excited to have Dynamite Kid. Uh, now, we had Davey Boy Smith last year, but this is the younger version. Kind of right around, what, say, 1985, 86? era uh for davy boy and dynamite um and uh kind of that old school look to him there and uh to kind of go with him too we also announced uh 
Captain Lou Albano getting his uh, color card update too. So he gets uh, to manage this awesome duo too. And he's got great artwork as well. I mean, you know, what a recognizable face uh, for any wrestling fan of the 80s. Um, uh, it's, it's just a great piece of artwork. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a, a fun card. Um, the Davy Boy card, you know, comparing it obviously to the card that was released last year, um, you know, it is it is a completely different look. It's a younger uh, version. And I can only imagine the stats will also reflect uh, uh, a bit of maybe a more agile uh, uh, Davy Boy that we saw, especially when he was in tag team action, compared to you know what he was, in, especially in the '90s, where he was really just more of a power guy. Um, but you know, one of one of the finest tag teams, certainly uh, of the '80s, if not the all time. Uh, uh, they they were uh, incredible, and um, I, I do have to ask. I don't know if you guys can tell us. But the Dynamite card in particular, I know a lot of people um, are, are going to be wondering, do we have a card that is purely tag team based? Or is this a card that maybe is going to also compete in our junior heavyweight ranks and, uh, you know, mix it up in singles action as well? I guess, I guess I'll take that one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, first off, it's always good to be back with you here on the podcast. Him. Uh, I would say um, you're right on with your your uh, British Bulldog, uh, David Boy Smith. You know he's going to be this is going to be more of a rookie card for him coming in. You know to his you know I'll call it early prime as a tag team wrestler. You're going to see a, a more agile uh, David Boy. I think with Dynamite Kid, I think anyone. I'll just say there's a couple dynamite kid marks on the legends team. So I, I think, <laughs> <it> um, <laughs> if, 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 if you're, uh, if you're worried about whether or not he will be a competitive junior heavyweight, um, the answer <laughs> is it's your fault if he's not, or the Dyson's fault, one or the other. Um, he, he, he really, uh, I, I think fans of the dynamite kid, uh, will be, uh, very happy with the card. Uh, we've been working, you know, hard on it to really try and um, figure out a good way. But you know, but he is not a quote unquote tag specialist. I think that was one of the worries I saw on the board was somehow he'd be a tag exclusive card, and that is certainly not the case. That's awesome. That's wonderful to hear. And I, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that's, that's always, I think, agonizing for, for promoters, myself included, is that, you know, the names get released, we see the art and we're so excited. And then it's like, but I have to wait until I see those stats. And so, you know, now, now that the, uh, (laughs) it's kind of, you know, sometimes tougher on this end because, uh, you know, you're trying to make sure the stats are right. Um, and, and that people will enjoy what you, what you deliver. Um, so yeah, I, I think that you'll see, I mean, it, it, he's obviously going to be an accomplished tag team wrestler, um, because Davey boy was, uh, before he was with the British Bulldogs and, and, and afterwards, uh, uh, dynamite kid was, was, I'm sorry, the dynamite kid was always a great tag team wrestler. Um, whether it was in, you know, up in stampede out over in Japan, um, with partners other than Davy Boy Smith, uh, but 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 I think so. He will be a good tag team wrestler, but he will also be a singles wrestler. 
Well, that's great. I, I, I mean, that, again, that just makes me very excited uh, for the card. And, and, you know, you mentioned obviously Canada with the stampede promotion, you know, working in Japan and, and clearly working in the Northeast. Uh, he also had a great run in the Pacific Northwest and, and Don Owens promotion. Yep. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just the, the, the card, uh, it, again, it's a wonderful tribute to uh, a guy that we you know recently lost. Um, and a lot can be said about dynamite and has been said, he wrote his own book. Uh, there's a documentary, pure dynamite. Um, you can get over at high spots and, uh, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there about him. Um, you know, he might not have always been the nicest guy, made the best choices, but uh, his talent in the ring was undeniable. And uh, he's, he's just one of the greatest of all time. And he was an innovator. He was an influence on so many people. Um, you know, you, you, you watch, especially, you know, smaller guys, you watch the way that they work and it, it, there's there's no doubt that he influenced them, whether it was directly or by way of someone who was influenced by him that then influenced them. But even, even younger guys, um, you know, even guys that are, um, you know, sure have been around a while, but a guy like, you know, Daniel Bryan or or Davey Richards or, you know, those guys, you know, it's clear that they were influenced by him. And, uh, and and I just think having him in the game, you know, again, you know, we always talk about the, the fact that it's a tribute to the wrestler, but, but it's also kind of just a tribute to the work that, that, that everyone does, um, uh, on the game, ensuring that we have the the best talent, and and then like you're talking about Mike, that we also ensure we have the best card for them. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, I'm sure uh, that the Davy Boy card is going to be a lot of fun. And obviously, Captain Lou, uh, Captain Lou, I'm sure is going to be fun. Uh, now, can you can you can you tell us, Todd, is that going to be strictly a manager card, or is he going to have some wrestling stats as well? I actually am not completely sure of that. One. I have not seen the stats of the Legends team on the managers yet. I appreciate your honesty. I will, I'll be fully honest on that one. <laughs> but but I do think that you know it, it's 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 great to have some of these guys. And I, I think that to your point, Sam, about the Dynamite Kid, I think um, you know I think he's he's not he's so influential that I think there's a whole generation of of guys coming up now who don't realize how much they were influenced by Dynamite Kid. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, from, from guys who were, you know, you know, even his generation, he was influential, but, it, but in the generation since, I think that there's, I mean, whether it's tag team wrestling or singles wrestling, I, I think you see his impact on almost every wrestling show you, you see. So Absolutely. Well, I think that there's, a, you know, there's, a, some justice to it. there's a great through line that you can kind of see if you really trace it back and you look back at, you know, where he was, who he worked with, the types of things that he was doing with other guys, you know, Tiger Mask obviously being one of them and just seeing the way that that influenced, um, you know, wrestlers in Japan, uh, you know, obviously the second Tiger Mask was, was Misawa and, you know, there's stuff that Misawa was doing. You don't, you don't often necessarily think, Oh, Misawa was influenced by dynamite, but he absolutely was. And you look at all Japan in the nineties and you look at some of the talent and the things that they were doing. And it's clear that, you know, that his influence was being felt, um, you know, even there. And then, you know, clearly you look at the stuff that he did in, in Stampede and you see Bret Hart and you see Owen Hart and, and there's no doubt that they were directly influenced by him as well. So um, I, it's a, it is a huge get for the game for, for fans and promoters. And I, I, I think that, uh, you know, this is one of those cases where, you know, Christmas is, has 
come early and, and will definitely come early when it hits your mailbox, um, which I know the team is hoping will be in, in mid December. So uh, make sure you get your pre-orders in, which the pre-orders are available. They're live now, aren't they Todd? Yeah, they are. They are available for the legends set, a uh, 12 card set there. Uh, three special edition manager cards are up there. Wow. We have, and that's an official card. confirmation of twelve cards. By the way. <laughs> official confirmation of twelve cards. I think it's. Cool. Awesome. I think Chad. Uh, Chad officially confirmed it on the boards before we officially confirmed it anywhere else. But yeah, it is <laughs> twelve cards there. Actually, it, even with the prime cards, you're looking at eighteen brand new legends cards. Yeah, coming, which is so, great. So I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And yeah. I, I, I mean. It, I don't know the the just just having been a fan of the game for as, as long as I have, and I I'm really genuinely hoping that there are people that are listening to this podcast that have either just bought the game for the first time or maybe only been playing for like a year or whatever. But to just to provide a little bit of perspective, at, you know, for a longtime fan like myself, you know. Generally, getting that many cards at one time meant that you were getting like a starter set, or you were getting like the first set, or you know, like to have a, a you know an expansion set, if you will, come out with this many you know cards as, as kind of a part of it, um, even if it's tangentially with 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 the the promoter prime stuff, uh, is is quite remarkable. And and I think that you know, if anybody wants to run a northeastern based. 80s promotion uh you know now is definitely the time to start plotting and planning because you're going to have all the talent you could possibly want to to do that with well and 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 not just northeast i mean we have you know some other guys who um have been in in the past and 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 guys who are i would argue you know there's some guys like morocco who we've already announced for the set who you know morocco had a big run in georgia in the 80s um you know um, so, so it's I, I think we're going to have, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who had an impact in the Northeast, um, and, but but there's going to be some guys who had impact outside of there. So I, I think there's going to be something uh, for, if you're a fan of, I think a lot of them, we, we did geography across eras. This one is obviously sort of a, a snapshot in time in the 80s, uh, but it does sort of cross regional boundaries a little bit more than some of our other uh, sets did so I, I think that this will this one will be uh, if you're a child of the 80s I think you'll enjoy it yeah well and and, and you know and into that you you look at having a guy like Adrian Adonis and, and obviously choosing to go uh, with that particular look and, and gimmick as opposed to the adorable one and then you know you've got Bob Orton and uh, I recently just watched a match actually with Orton and Adonis taking on the Midnight Rockers in the AWA so it's it's like you know again you've got you know you've got these two guys being released in this you know kind of like you said snapshot of a certain time of place but clearly you know any territory um, will be suitable for for these guys and, and you know and for me you know i i kind of decided a couple of years back when i sort of restarted my my legends fed uh my decision was is i'm just gonna have i'm gonna have a promotion i'm gonna set it in in my home base right now you know chicago the midwest and uh and and just use whatever talent i want because clearly like you were saying mike you look at old results uh uh from any of these territories and you see you know names coming in that you i, I think because we are so conscious of WWE, you know, kind of getting to control the narrative with the network and with all the things that they produce, some of which are marvelous. I'm not, this isn't me trying to bash WWE, but, but, you know, you you do, it's easy, especially for modern fans to lose sight of the fact that, you know, again, like I was talking about with that book, the strap, 
you've got talent that was coming into St. Louis to wrestle and wrestle for these titles and wrestle in front of sold out, you know, Keel Auditorium that you would more associate with, you know, like Backlund, for instance, you're, you're going to associate Bob Backlund more with, you know, WWF in, in the late seventies and early eighties than you are with, you know, the St. Louis wrestling club in, in the mid seventies. Um, so, so I just think that it's, it's one of those things where, uh, uh, the talent and the legends, you know, game is to be used any way you want to, and to be able to kind of learn more about, you know, the talent and learn where they came from and what they did is, is to me, that's part of the fun uh, yeah. of the game. You know, it's like, um, well, yeah, ta- talent was so fluid back then. I mean, I think we've gotten into these guaranteed long-term contracts that are exclusive to promotions starting in the nineties. I think, uh, yep. you know, uh, Ted Turner's, uh, organization sort of started that and, and it's, um, you know, went from there, but, but I think back in the eighties, you'd have a guy who do six months in, in one territory. I mean, we still had a lot of territories in the eighties. Um, right. you know, I mean, th- there were still a, a large number of them. And so you had guys who were fluid and you might think of them as a Northeast guy, but somebody else might think of them as a Pacific rim guy. You know, you know, I mean, it was, it was right. there, there's, there's lots of, I mean, dynamite kids, a great example, actually, yeah. you know, talking about him, you know, he, he, early in his career was over in England. You know, I mean, right. he, he, he won several titles in England before he went to Canada, you know, and was out, you know, in uh, Calgary. And then he goes to, you know, he does a little bit in Japan. He goes to the Northeast. He goes back to Japan. He goes back to the Northeast. He, you know, I mean, you know, he winds up going back to Canada and then going back to Japan and running around all over the place. So I think it's, it's very different than today's perspective and so a lot of people you're going to look at some of these guys and somebody's going to say yeah this is the northeast guy somebody's going to say he's the midwest guy somebody's going to say he's the pacific northwest guy right um, there, there's there's uh that's the neat thing about this is that um there this is still an era where guys had a lot of mobility um geography wise yeah well and it's one of the cool things to see on the message boards when you're you know reading fed results which is one of my favorite things to do sometimes is just to go back and like catch up on somebody's fed if i haven't especially if i haven't been you know keeping myself up to date or whatever and and there are a few in particular that i follow and you know try to keep up on um but even like just new ones where it's just like oh, i'm gonna take a look at this you've seen the way that that promoters have chosen to run their fed and some you know look at it as running like a big sort of national or slash worldwide organization, you know, that's akin to the larger promotions that, that, that dominated the nineties. And, and then some promoters are very much about running like that regional territory, which is what I do. And, um, to the, to the point that like, I recently decided that I wanted the, you know, the world champion to be like the touring world champion, just like they were in the old days and, and, and have basically devised, um, like a, a chart in order to see if that champion, chip has changed hands outside the territory. So you might have a new world champion come in uh, uh, to the territory um, as opposed to, you know, just bringing the same guy back again until they lose it in my territory. Cause that's not how it always happened. Um, so, you know, it's just, I think that it's part of the creativity of the games. It's, it's part of the, part of the fun of the game is seeing, uh, you know, the, the creativity that other promoters use when they kind of set up their legends feds and um, you know, Really, I don't think there's going to be any better time to do that uh, if you know if you haven't already than, than come this December. So um, I'm looking forward to, to you know hearing the rest of the names. Um, I you know uh, I, I'm just really really excited uh, already, and and I think that there were a lot of people that were sold on the set 
um, you know, before before Dynamite even got announced. So uh, I'm sure that anybody who was maybe waiting to pull the trigger uh, is not going to, to wait any longer. Yeah, no, I think we're really in a golden age of, you know, the Legends game right now. I think we've, we've got some, you know, great names in this set. Uh, I think people are going to be really happy with it. I think we're going to have, and I think next year is going to be great too. If, if everything we've got planned comes to fruition, I think, uh, you know, 2021 is only going to build on, uh, you know, the remarkable uh, run we're having. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, legends isn't the only thing uh, that's coming and it's not the only thing that was announced. Todd, you were kind of talking about this a second ago. Um, we've also got a best uh, of the women's indies set. Um, and we've got some new names uh, that were announced a- a- as well. Um, do you want to talk about those uh, and-, and tell us a little bit about the set? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Ty States has been helping uh, coordinate everything on-, on this, helped actually with a lot of the signings along with uh, our usual uh, hero of the signing, Zeke. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you yeah, know, we have an awesome set, some really top, uh, names in the indies uh, today, including you know some wrestlers that have been you know in ROH, uh, Impact, uh, even AEW representation, along with uh, you know some ones from uh, some favorites along you know uh, IWTV. Like really, kind of a good mix of a lot of different people. Uh, the latest two that we just announced uh, were the uh, members of the Allure from uh, Ring of Honor. So both uh, Mandy Leon and then uh, Angelina Love, who is probably the most recognizable name in this set. Uh, yeah, and then we have uh, one more name still to come uh, later on, but I think almost everybody else has been been named. Uh, Layla Hirsch, I'm a big fan of there. Absolutely. Eva Eva Lisa, I've loved her ever since seeing her on uh, Lucha Underground. Uh, yeah, she's been popping up a couple places. Uh, Kylie Ray, uh, you know, a big, big uh, wrestler in the Chicago area there the last couple of years. I've uh, been, you know, looking forward to getting her. We announced her at the kickoff event. Uh, but I mean, the, really, the, I mean, th- some really great names and some fantastic art. I think uh, Werner really nailed the art uh, for everybody in this set this year. I agree. I, I'm, I, you know, the, the, the Angelina love art, uh, I, I, I particularly like quite a bit. Um, you know, the, um, uh, killer Kelly art is, is probably one of my favorites. I think that that's, you know, some, some great stuff. Uh, Layla Hirsch is a card that I'm super excited for. Um, and, uh, and, and then the Willow Nightingale card, I'm really excited for too. Yeah. I've seen her, you know, perform a number of times and, um, just have, I've always really, really enjoyed her. And I had a chance to speak with her, um, after a shimmer show, uh, for, for a little bit and, uh, just, just cool, just a cool person and, uh, and really talented and does, and does some, you know, pretty incredible stuff, uh, in the ring. And, and I think that, um, you know, seeing someone like her hit a moonsault, uh, is something that like 30 years ago, you know, nobody would have ever even imagined, you know, much right. less, you know, see it. So um, she'll be cool to have as well. And and I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, you mentioned Angelina Love and, you know, she's, she's definitely got, um, she's definitely got the credentials, you know, to back up being kind of the, the headliner, so to speak of this, uh, you know, six time knockouts champion, one time women of honor champion, you know, uh, uh, and, and that doesn't even go into all the tag team stuff that she's done. So, um, very, very cool name to have without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, and Mike, you were actually saying that, uh, 
you, you don't necessarily use uh, a lot of you know uh, these cars. You don't really have an Indy Fed, but but you were saying that this this might kind of be an exception for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think this is some some great names. I think that uh, you know Ty and Zeke and, and Todd have done just a phenomenal job with this set. So I, I think. Anybody who's a fan of female wrestling will be happy with this. Indies wrestling, it, it, it's really going to fill out your roster and, and make that women's division, I think, that much more complete with some real, real big names. Yeah. And one of the things, too, that you know, we, we talked about this not too long ago, that the indie team has done such a great job of is getting a lot of, you know, new, fresh names in. Um, and even though, obviously, in this set, we've got, you know, somebody like Angelina Love or even Elise, uh, you know, who have been doing this for years and, and, and have made quite the name for themselves. You know, people like Layla Hirsch, uh, Willow Nightingale, you, you know, you've got some names. Even Killer Kelly, you know, you've got some names that uh, are, are newer. It's funny because Killer Kelly, to me, seems like somebody that's been around for longer than she actually has. Um, <laughs> but she hasn't been around that that long believe it or not and even when she won the the wxw women's title she's the first holder of that title um which is a pretty big honor considering that wxw is known for being you know pretty pretty hard hitting and pretty you know i mean they're they're, they're where guys like walter and Ilya dragunov came from you know what i mean like that's that's a it's a i mean that's a testament to the type of wrestling that they offer it um so you've got these new names uh uh that, that are, are going to just be a great addition and of course anytime you get people that are a little newer uh you also have the potential to have a name in a set that for all we know you know two years from now could be a huge star in a major company wearing you know gold there so um just just you know always I, I'm, I'm a huge fan um of all the sets but I, I love the indie sets and you know the women's sets are um uh, you know, something that I'm always, uh, up for. And, and, and I, you know, I love the shimmer sets and, uh, attending shimmer shows here in Chicago, you know, put me in touch with a lot of the wrestlers that were in the game, which is, which is always really cool. You know, to get your card signed or whatnot, um, which in the post the the world <laughs> will be wonderful. Yeah. The other thing I'll add is, yeah, we also have the, all the, uh, the, the three uh, Indies Prime cards coming out as well that were yeah. voted on by fans. So one other woman to add there is uh, Allison Kay, which we uh, debuted that art a couple weeks ago, uh, the day she was challenging for the uh, NWA Women's Championship. Uh, we had that art ready. It's like, okay, we should probably show this now. So, yeah. uh, but I, I'm really a big fan of that art too. Uh, and then uh, we got the Selena De La Renta uh, manager card coming out. And then uh, we have one man, one man coming out, you know, amongst all the other women that are coming out this winter, uh, Willie Mack, uh, you know, uh, awesome, awesome card. Uh, love the art for that one, uh, which everyone uh, will see pretty soon as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those two those two updates. Uh, those will be exciting. Um, and then, of course, uh, also we've got the uh, battle lines, the Chrono set uh, coming out, which is going to be super uh, exciting. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the teaser video that that uh, was shown at the um, October get together um will will now be released for everyone to see um so i'm looking forward to, to hearing what people have to say about that and then of course we've had quite a few um names uh, uh dropped for for that set 
And, uh, and, and I guess we can kind of say officially that on the next episode uh, of KOPW, um, the Rob Obin, who's the guy who, who wrote um, the, the Battle Lines booklet and, and kind of you know, created all this sort of stuff, uh, he's, he's the one that's going to uh, be riding shotgun with us to talk in depth about the Battle Lines set, which I'm really looking forward to. You know, I, I think that, that uh, the video was, I, I loved the, uh, uh, the fact that got put together. I, I don't know who worked on that. Do you know, do you know Sam? <laughs> who worked on that with Rob? That was, uh, that was me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought it was neat because it gave something for people to look at at, at our get-together in October. Um, it, it's obviously fueled some speculation on the boards as to who's in the game. Um, and, uh, you know, are they new guys? Are they reimagined, uh, alternate universe, uh, guys? Um, I think it's, it's fantastic. I think now that it's available for people to view infinitely, uh, as many times <laughs> as they want, uh, it'll be interesting to see what speculation comes out, uh, more. I know that, uh, not every name is going to be, uh, released ahead of time. So that I think it'll be, it's a neat little, it's something new. We're, we're, we're trying to do some new things. And I think that what you and Rob came up with there is, uh, it, it's, it's going to make for a fun little exercise as we wait for the uh, release of the product. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to work on. And I look forward to talking a little bit more about that next time around when, when Rob's on, um, because it was, it, it honestly, it was probably one of the, easiest and 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 most fun artistic experiences that I've had in the past like four or five years I mean legitimately it was just it was it was easy to, you know to to work with him it was fun and uh, uh it was you know I, I, I you know I don't want to you know I don't want to devolve into hyperbole but it was a privilege it really was it was a privilege to be able to to, to do something like that and 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 uh, I'm glad that people responded to it the way that they did and I look forward to you know to kind of hearing uh, what people think afterwards and, and how it fuels the, the new speculation. So, uh, so we'll talk more about battle lines on, on the next episode. Um, but uh, on this episode, uh, Mike, you're going to have, uh, I think a lot to say because we're going to be talking quite a bit about a set that you uh, were the writer of. And um, I think that a lot of fans uh, hold pretty near and dear. Um, I know I do, uh, but we're going to be talking about, the GWF early classics of the 2070s and 2080s. Um, now, of course, we wanted to kind of do this uh, in, in sort of a chronological way. So we'll also be throwing in the, the classics sets that Tom did as well um, to, to kind of talk about all of the wrestlers in each year. But uh, clearly there's going to be a lot of focus on, on this particular set. Um, and so I just want to jump right in and I want to start off with, you know, you talk a little bit about it in the booklet um, about how it was, uh, it was, was, you know, it was, it was some work, uh, a lot of convincing, um, but I'd love to hear about how the, the idea came to fruition. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess this is like kind of, you know, throwback Thursday on Black Friday. Um, So, (laughs) You know, if, if I go in the Wayback Machine um, to, uh, you know, really when, when the classic sets came out, I was I was a huge fan, um, as you might imagine. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed, you know, when we got 2079, then we got 2074. But right away, my 
thing was, oh, I want to play. Like, I want to play 2074. Um, so I can have Omega be my champion and Morpheus be his rival and, and all this other, um, you know, have Blacklash and Bullwhip for them to feud with and kind of come together on. And, and, and it was it was one of those things where I always wanted there to be more history there. And, and clearly it was an area that Tom um, really didn't have the bandwidth um, to explore at the time. And I guess I went to um, my first Galacticon in 2001. And then I guess probably it was uh, sometime after the second one. It was, it was, I think I saw Tom, actually, and I think I saw Todd up in New Jersey at a con. And right before of, WrestleMania 20, yeah. Right, yep, and, and, and sort of started talking to him, you know, about maybe doing this, and Tom kind of said, well, yeah, that that, that sounds interesting. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, he, he wound up approving it, um, and so we released that. You know, I, I was... I guess I started writing it probably in, I'll just say late uh, 2003. And, okay. you know, he gave it the go ahead in the spring of 2004. We released it at Galacticon that year. Um, so, but it was something I always wanted it to be a playable history because I felt yeah. like it, you know, the game itself, you know, at that point, I guess we were probably around 21 you know, 13 to 15 range, you know, when, when that was, when, when I was going to those early Galacticons, that sound mm-hmm. right? 21. Yeah. That's right. about right. The disaster. Uh, it was, it, it was when disaster came out. Was that 2113? That was 2113. That, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first Galacticon. I think was, uh, it was either 2112 or 2113 was my first Galacticon. So, um, you know, so at that point, you know, we've gotten past the, oh, I've been playing for a couple of years stage, right? Everybody's <laughs> right. got, you know, like at this point in terms of game years, you've got a, you know, like a 20 year history. And I thought, well, the history is important, you know, being a baseball fan too, you know, it's like, what's your record, you know, like what's the history. So that was sort of the impetus for it, um, was I wanted it to be playable from, um, you know, 2074 through that first set that takes place in 2087. Yeah. And I I think that for me, that is something that I always wanted as well. One of the things that um, the Uncharted Territory podcast recently discussed because they did kind of an overview of 2087, which was, you know, really one of the things that kind of, uh, I think, finally motivated us to do this because it's something that we've been talking about for, for a while now, you know, doing kind of, you know, overviews uh, of the sets. And um, so, so thank you. Uh, but one of the things that they were talking about kind of the, the genius of that set w- was the fact that it alluded to a history that took place before 2087. And uh, I think it was, you know, it didn't take long for me to be, you know, fairly mesmerized by that as well. You, you know, when I first started playing the game. And so when this set came out and got announced, and I think I was a little behind on it just because, uh, you know, I was in college at the time. And I remember when I was in college, I was, you know, I was playing a lot, but I was playing mostly Legends. Um, and I was kind of just focusing on like either Legends or, or you know, GWF, uh, current. And, um, and I'd go back and forth 
and I'd get most of my playing done during the summer. So it really wasn't until uh, a little bit later that I was, you know, able to, to pick it up and, and, and get into it. And then I started uh, my classics fed. And that, the funny thing is, is even though I had the, the, the set, the cards, I waited a while before I actually started my classics fed. And um, it, it was just so gratifying to be able to start at the beginning. Um, but one of the things that I think that you do so well in the book, which is, you know, echoes what, what Tom did in that first, uh, champions of the galaxy booklet is that you also, I, I think make good use of a pre GWF history, um, with POW and having some of this talent have a back, you know, have that backstory and have a history with one another, even before the GWF got started. Um, which is great because it, it, it just informs the characters so much. Um, so I'm curious, you know, when you, when you were, you know, getting down to the writing and coming up with some of these characters, um, did you know right away that you were going to have guys that had that kind of history or, or, you know, was that something that developed as you went on? No, that, that was right from the beginning. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that Tom had stressed in his, in his early histories was that these guys came, you know, from a time where there was outlaw wrestling and Omega was making this effort to, you know, sort of end violence, you know, outside of the ring and bring it into a more constructive uh, venue. And I think that, but inherently, you know, if if you know anyone who starts a business, they never start it in a vacuum. Um, right. There's always people they worked with before who they work with again. Um, and so, or people that they knew who had an expertise in that area. Um, so it, it made sense that if, if, if Morpheus and Omega had wrestled in the POW, that they probably wouldn't want the most unsavory of those people to be coming with them, but that, that, that some of those guys would inevitably be needed. Because who else? You, 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 you know, are just going to have an open audition and just see who walks in the door? <laughs> um, right. It, it, it's, so um, it, I, I felt like from the very beginning there had to be guys that, there'd be a history with because th that would just be the most realistic way it would happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and I think that, you know, having those ties with, you know, like specific characters like Paladin power, solar flare and, and Moonstrike, and then defiance blood and jammer. Um, it, it, it just added a lot of texture and it made it easy to kind of, you know, imagine, um, and even in writing out like show notes for myself, uh, there were times when I would make reference to the fact that these guys knew each other very well and had faced each other, you know, in a POW ring or, you know, that sort of thing. And so it was really kind of nice to be able to have something to kind of draw on from before and let that inform what was happening. Um, I, you know, one of the things that, and, and, and I, I've mentioned that for me, the sci-fi aspect of the game is not always something that I like to have front and center. Um, I don't dislike it. Sometimes it is something that I really, really, you know, inject, you know, all the way in, but with my classics, I really tried to keep it fairly basic. Um, and, and, you know, almost just kind of harken back to like a late seventies, early eighties era, um, as we know it. And, and so, uh, that said, one of the huge elements of the classics era 
uh, is the fact that there was this huge conflict that had taken place that lasted for 15 years, um, you know, cost 12 billion lives. And, and that that was kind of the thing that set the stage for, uh, you know, Omega to say, Hey, we need, we need something that can, that people can enjoy and that people can, can utilize to have that catharsis so that we don't find ourselves, you know, back in the same situation that we were just in, um, which I think is, is fascinating in, in a lot of ways. Now, I mean, obviously that, that's something that, um, that Tom mentions, I believe in, in the 2079 book as well as the 2074 book, but, uh, how did you integrate that and what did that mean to you during the writing process? In terms, of, I'm sorry, Sam. In terms of the the how the the war and everything else, I mean, yeah. it was it was obviously something Tom had put in there. And and again, if, if you're coming out of an era of this, you know, great galactic war and this underground wrestling, and it, it's all kind of gotta be there. You know, you've got to you you can't ignore any of that. I mean, I think anyone who grew up you know, in World War II, if we look at, you know, my grandfather's generation, you know, they were sort of impacted by growing up then. I mean, you know, whether they fought in the war or they were uh, stateside, whatever those, wherever they were, they, they were impacted by that. So I think all these guys had to be impacted. All that history was important because it explains why the GWF came to be. It explains why later there's the Galactic Code. You know, like there, there's a you know, it, it's an it's a real important piece of the puzzle that you can't really ignore. Absolutely, and and you know that kind of leads into the next thing is that you know when you when you when you set the stage in such a way and you start to put the players in, obviously Omega is is the guy that you kind of build things around. Um, but he had a foil, and it was a foil that you know we we had heard about, and 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 it had a card for in Classics twenty seventy nine, and that foil, of course, is Morpheus. Um, for me. I always felt like we got sort of a thumbnail sketch of Morpheus. And to be completely honest, the depth that you gave him was something that I was such a huge fan of. And the contrast uh, that he had with Omega and the relationship between the two. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because again, I kind of feel like, and and again, by the time you were writing the book, we knew more about him. He'd been, he'd been around in the GWF. He'd come in as a manager slash commissioner and, and, you know, he'd done some stuff in, in, um, uh, CPC, you know, years. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious as to, uh, uh, what informed, you know, your depiction of Morpheus in the early classics set. Well, I, I guess, you know, I started from the standpoint that, he and Omega and Tom had said this were partners. I mean, obviously they were business partners starting the GWF together, but they were also literal partners in the ring as, as a tag team to start with. Um, and so there had to be, and, and you also go with the fact that, you know, Tom had written that this was pre, you know, heroes and villains. Right. So, so Omega can't just be a flat, you know, ha 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 bad guy you know, <laughs> you know you know he 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 has to have some depth to him that is actually good like that he's actually a legitimately good person and that maybe he wasn't ever really bad and that yeah. when he comes back to the GWF in 2097 six. um 6 it was it 6 or 7 it was 7 it was 7 okay it was 2097 you know you, you know 
he's bitter having been away from this now for, you know, 11 years or whatever that, you know, he's, you know, he feels that he doesn't get the, the su- credit for the success that Omega's getting. And so there had to be like this play where, yes, he eventually becomes this bad guy in 2097, but maybe he wasn't really that bad. And maybe it's more of a misunderstanding. And, and that's how you can have it be a rivalry before there are heroes and villains, that it's more about ego, but maybe between decent enough guys. Yeah. I, you know, I, not to jump too far ahead, but I will say that one of the things I loved playing with uh, in, in my classics fed was that relationship and, you know, the times that they were working together and the times that they, you know, had one another's backs and then the times that they were at odds. And, and I think that, you know, for me personally, one of the cool things to use was Cosmos as sort of, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a playing chip between the two of them. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but uh, you know, now that we are talking about the characters, you know, the the, the Morpheus and Omega cards that are used in, in the 2074 uh, year um, are indeed from Classics 2079. Um, and, I mean, clearly the Omega card is, I mean, he's a hoss. Like, there's no getting around it. That card is is fantastic. Um, and, you know, he's, he's going to be the guy that, you know, to beat uh, in those in those early years. Um Todd, uh, what were your thoughts when you got your hands on this classics card? Do you do you recall? Oh yeah, that's one of my. That's probably one of my favorite. That's definitely my favorite classics card. I mean, yeah. that was one I used so much. I mean, I would do you know back in my early days of playing in that time, I would do so many tournaments, uh, which should come as no surprise to anybody. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he was a major standout in there and definitely one of my favorites just from, from uh, you know, using him across multiple different eras, uh, or, you know, opponents. But yeah, I mean, I did, I didn't, I did play through the whole classics era. I didn't necessarily do like a ton of cards each year, but at least, you know, tested it out, you know, throughout all the different matchups and feuds throughout the year. And like, I always look forward to doing an Omega match. I mean, with yeah. that card, being able to use them for, you know, I think was it 74 through, you know, somewhere in the early eighties or something like that before he got a, his uh, downgrade there, but. Um, yeah. 83 uh, or 84, I think. I think yeah, something like that. yeah. He, he, 83, I believe it was. 83. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and so, um, Mike, for for you, uh, just to kind of go back for a second, um, one of the other things that I that I love about the setup that leads you into the first card, which is in September of 2074, um, is that there's this, you know, there's time because you've got April, which is when the Fed is founded, and then you flash forward like five months later to when they actually hold their first card, which I thought was really, you know, really kind of cool and added an element of, of realism. Um, now, during that time, you know, the, there's in the booklet, like it talks about the fact that um, Omega was more concerned with the big picture, and then Morpheus was more concerned with like, you know, day to day, you know, scouting uh, talent, that sort of thing. So I had this, you know, this image in my head of Omega kind of holding down the fort while Morpheus is off, you know, going and taking a look at, you know, teams like the Mensons and like, you know, kind of bringing the talent back, um, um, you know, finding the people to, to populate this new, this new fed. Uh, is that kind of what you had envisioned as well? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and that was, again, you know, talking earlier about just trying to set up a natural tension, right? Every organization has tensions in it, you know, whether it's, you know, the sales team versus the customer support team, you know, the the finance (laughs) guy, you know, everybody's got their own, like, thing of what's important to them in an organization. And so that was sort of, again, one of those levers I tried to use that didn't make one guy good or bad. It just meant they had different views. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a nice way to sort of further Tom's story there. So, you know, for me, uh, I, I mean, I loved these guys so much, uh, Morpheus and Omega and with Omega, his, you know, his 2079 card, um, I always looked at the 2087 version as being kind of that broken down, like a la, you know, Chief J Strongbow or, or Wahoo McDaniel, um, you know, that kind of guy. But when I got his 2079 card, I always looked at him more as being like a Jack Briscoe. Like I didn't, I never thought of him as being like a younger version of Strongbow or, or uh, uh, McDaniel. I always saw him as being like, no, this is like a guy who you who you build your company around, which, you know, as great as, as Wahoo was, for instance, uh, you never really built your company around him. Yeah, he was at the top of the card. Yeah, he feuded. You know, he, he was, you know, he, he was definitely huge in, in the Mid-Atlantic, but, you know, you, you still, you didn't, you didn't put the world title on, you know? And so for me looking at a younger Omega, I always saw him more as being again in that Jack Briscoe vein, um, as opposed to, to maybe representing, you know, who he came to be later, uh, for, for game fans. Um, you know, two finishers, only one down three on, on level three defense. Like I said, it's clear he came to play. Uh, Mike, what did you think of this card? No, I mean, he was, you know, it was a bit of a challenge because, you know, I had to be careful in any, any other card. He needed to be the man. So, yeah. you know, like it sort of limited my ceiling on any other card that was going to be written. Um, they, they had to, you know, it wasn't like I could say, okay, well, I'm going to have this guy who's going to have, you know, a, a plus four and a plus three finisher, you know, to, to go up against him because that just <laughs> wouldn't have made any sense. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I, I love the card. I, he, he always performed well for me. Um, was not my first GWF champion though. Uh, he was my second and, uh, definitely my, my longest reigning by, by a long shot. Uh, um, he, uh, just, just like Tom's story. Well, that's how the, I was just gonna say, just like the story said it should be. <laughs> uh, but, but Morpheus wasn't my first champion. It was actually Torin Calum who was my first oh, champion. one of your favorites. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my, one of my favorites. Yeah. He, um, Omega, you know, took the belt from him and then would end up holding it for 730 days in game time and he had 11 successful defenses during that time which is still in my in my classics but it's still the record nobody's nobody's topped 11 defenses yet not even omega um who who you know, would take the title again and hold it for another 700 days um but but morpheus unfortunately morpheus kind of underperformed for me those first couple of years and it made me a little sad because he was always great in tag team action mm. um but in singles action he stumbled a lot and you know there were a lot of dqs uh that he would lose by dq or he would you know he would get pinned which is always surprising to me because the card is pretty stellar um mike what were your thoughts on morpheus when you first saw that card 
Yeah, I mean, again, I I thought it was a very good card. He did pretty well for me, I'd say, in the the early years. It was, you know, Omega, Morpheus, K.O. Keller, Torin Kalem. Those were like the the big four. Um, And, 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 you know, I mean, I guess Blacklash and Bullwhip were also, you know, key cards. But I'd say those four were, you know, in terms of my early um, title picture, those were the big four. Yeah. Todd, what about you? Uh, I'd have to go back and see in my records there. I believe, I think I actually did have Morpheus win my title. Oh, um, nice. First champion. And yeah, I think he actually did pull that one off. Uh, but I did, uh, I did really enjoy doing tag team matches against uh, uh, Backlash and Bullwhip, who I'm sure we'll get into very shortly here (laughs) yeah actually that's a perfect that's the perfect segue because one of the things i wanted to talk about was the tag team scene um and specifically the guardians and dorado sundown um you know the i for for my fed not that i want to just make this about what i did but uh for my fed i i held one card a month you know much like ring of honor in the early days you know i just felt like that was the perfect way to go you know it was the perfect model for this fed you know having a, a smaller roster um and and you know just starting out it just made a lot of sense and so i would hold one card a month in game time and uh the you know for the first like five or six cards plus really the you know the dorado sundown guardians feud dominated the scene um you know omega obviously had to you know sometimes wrestle in singles matches because he was the champ but uh more often than not you know dorado sundown guardians would headline headline my card um and the guardians ended up being my first tag champs um and dorado sundown would end up taking the titles from them now uh I think that, you know, Tom does a wonderful job of kind of setting things up, but, uh, Mike, you know, talk a little bit about, um, the importance of Dorado Sundown and and Blacklash and Bullwhip in, you know, those, those early days and, and in the early classic set specifically. Well, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing about them is you needed a credible threat that would keep Omega and Morpheus together despite maybe their natural rivalry. Um, See, so, so, you know, I mean, they were, they were much more, you know, bad guys, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and the fact that they wanted this organization that would be above that, that would be more about competition, you know, it, it kept them together when probably naturally they would have, you know, fallen apart, you know, before then, they probably never would have teamed up. And, and who knows if the GWF becomes what it's supposed to be if they do that, right? I, I think mm-hmm. that the fact that they were able to, uh, you know, the, the most important thing about Dorado Sundown was that they they kept Omega and Morpheus together when the GWF needed them together. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, for me... I think that you you really hit on it because there were times when, you know, Omega being champion 
or, or having that successful singles run and Morpheus struggling in my fed set up that tension. So between the two of them so perfectly, and yet they were having to defend the GWF, this, this, this newborn company against these, these two interlopers. And I, you know, I always kind of uh, compared a lot of their antics to like Hanson and Brody. Um, and, 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 you know, that was sort of my mental template for, you know, for them as far as being kind of wild and being, you know, not, not caring about anything, the fans, the, you know, who they're facing, um, not caring about the rules and, and really just wanting to kind of take over and, and, and steal that spotlight. And, and it did force Morpheus and Omega together. Um, Todd, what are your recollections of Dorado Sundown? Uh, a great tag team. Uh, yeah. I mean, just like I, they, they were my champs as well. Uh, when I, when I was running it there, um, I don't think they, I mean, there was some really interesting other teams out there, but outside of Megan Morpheus, I don't think anybody was really on that same level. Uh, so they kind of had a little bit of an easy go, at least kind of on the start there. Uh, but yeah, I loved kind of like kind of that old, uh, you know, kind of, uh, Western tag team, a little bit of a, you know, throwback to the, you know, as you said, like Hanson and stuff like that kind of brought into this champions of the galaxy universe. I, I thought it was a great, you know, great dastardly, uh, foes, uh, for Omega to start off with. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. I don't know if, if either one of you will necessarily know the answer to this, but it is interesting to me that Dorado Sundown, you know, they were released in the 2074 set, not the 2079 set. So we had Morpheus and Omega before we ever had Dorado Sundown. Because for, for those that might not know, 2079 actually came out before 2074. Um, and so the, you know, getting these guys sort of after the fact, um, for me, again, that's kind of one of the things that's great about early classics and, and great for me about when I decided to come to that, that classics uh, era is that it gave me the opportunity to utilize these cards that had already been released in, in the sets that Tom had been produced. And so there was something about the way that you tied it all together, Mike, that I appreciated. And I think that the tag teams, uh, the tag team scene in particular was exciting for me early on because, you know, Todd, you were kind of talking about the fact that there wasn't really any other, or, or Mike, you might have said this, excuse me, uh, about the, you know, there weren't really any other tag teams kind of towards the top. For me, I kind of had the opposite. I ended up having, you know, yeah, because I, Paladin Power in particular, Moonstrike and Solar Flare, uh, ended up actually being um, one of my most successful tag teams. Um, so, you know, we've, we've talked about some cards that Tom, uh, you know, created and, and released in the sets. Now let's, let's talk about some cards that you did, Mike, because we've got two guys that I, again, really enjoyed Moonstrike in particular was a favorite of mine. Both of them performed very well. Um, you know, whether it was tag team action or even in singles action, like if I had had a secondary title, which I never felt the need to, you know, wasn't needed in the early days. Um, they easily would have been, you know, top contenders for it. Um, of course, the other thing that's awesome about Paladin Power is they're Titans. So right off the bat, you pull in these two competitors who come from POW, who have this history, who have this background, uh, and uh, they're great competitors, but they're also Titans. Talk a little bit about the decision to, you know, to take these characters and make them and make them Titans. Did, you know, how crucial did you think it was to have that representation in 2074? Well, I, I felt it was important because the Titans, you know, then and and even to this day have always been a, a central part of the GWF, you know, and, and being on, you know, Demos, uh, 
you know, they're in the solar system, so they're they're kind of local. You know, so you know, you know, they're so it made sense from that standpoint. It also made sense from the standpoint that you know we start off the GWF in you know 2087 with the Titan Death Match, and the Titans are all squeaky clean baby faces. You know, you know, you've got you know Nexus and Pulsar. And yeah, Pit Viper's a little edgier, but they're really, you know, they're the flying titans at that point, <laughs> if you remember, right? right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so, so they're these, you know, they're not really, how do you get a titan death match out of these guys, right? I mean, so, right. you, know, you know, so we needed, a, I, I felt like a story to explain, you know, where the titans had come from, if you will. Um, and... You know, and we also tied it in because um, right around the same time this was coming out, um, uh, Genesis, the uh, graphic novel, came out, yeah, and right. so it it was a nice opportunity to take, um, you know, the you know Kraken's backstory, the Titans' backstory. You know, there's the war that the sneak attack that CTA uh, one hundred two commits and and then you have the paladins who are the defenders of titan who fight so it sort of was a nice little way to bridge across you know the story from i'll call it before pow to post pow and and uh, and i thought that but i did think it was important to have some edgy titans to sort of explain the titan death match yeah yeah, it's not I, just because Titan uh, is close to Texas. Uh, there's another reason uh, for for that. That <laughs> right, right, and 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 I suppose there's 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 plenty of high flyers who were in Texas. Just you know, there's, absolutely. There, uh, but, but there's also some tough old hombres from down there. So we'll, uh, so we need we need to see some of those tough guys, um, which I, yeah. I think I mean. I mean, they were great for me. I mean, just you were talking about, you know, your own personal Fed history. I think that in the 2070s, they were uh, my most prolific tag team. I think Moonstrike actually won my heavyweight title twice. Oh, nice. Um, uh, but but, but they, as a tag team, I think they won the belts like six times in the 70s. So they, yeah. they, they were, they, they really were the tag team of, of you know, before you know, the game masters come into their own. Uh, it, it's, it, it's Titan power or, or Paladin power rather. That's the, uh, really the story of my GWF. Yeah. I, I they were, you know, not only did they win the titles and hold them longer than anybody else, um, which I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in 2076, uh, they held them all the way through 2078. And again, I was holding one card a month. Uh, all title matches were two out of three falls, unless there was another stipulation that might've been involved. Um, but in the early days, they were all two out of three falls. Uh, I, I would roll once for DQs. I wanted to keep things kind of strict. Um, so, so I, you know, title reigns tended to be a little, longer um time wise and and as far as defenses you know they had six successful defenses so they were you know they were huge for me but even when they weren't holding the titles they were always somewhere in the picture because they were having great matches um you know that was the other thing i loved about the cards i felt like their cards just mixed so well with whoever they were in the ring with so that i had great matches with them and again moonstrike in particular even in singles action would usually go out and have really good matches um so so i was a huge fan of theirs 
Uh, sometimes I actually got frustrated with them because I felt like, you know, I'd get to the point where I was just like, no, I want you to lose this match. <laughs> um, and, and of course, one of their uh, arrivals um, would have to be Defiance, Blood and Jammer. Um, you know, two really interesting characters, even the artwork, um, you know, which we should definitely give a, a shout out to, to Werner for, for the awesome artwork in the set. Um, I mean, these guys are covered in scars. You know, Blood's got a cigar. Um, you, you know, talk a little bit about the, the, this pair, because, you know, just from, from the looks, you know, they look like these two crazy brawlers, but both of them have submission finishers. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're guys that, that could clearly get in there and wrestle, you know, they've got a good move set, but I'm interested to, to know a little bit about their creation. Well, one thing I just got to jump in before that, is this the first like semi-official set that Werner did? Yes. Yes. Yeah. This, this, okay. this was, this was, this was Werner's, uh, step out moment, uh, nice. as I like to call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, yeah, Werner did a, did a really great job with this. I think any discussion on early classics um, really wouldn't be complete without. I mean, just taking the aside that, that that Todd brought up. I mean, the artwork. You know, this is early Werner. Um, you know, and uh, but but outstanding Werner. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a couple. I mean, a couple of. I mean, he did a great job with you know, you know. I mean, I think, you know, Dragon Fighter, Screw, I think, you know, Moonstrike's one of my real favorites. Uh, you know, uh, the Omega drawing is, is I, uh, and Morpheus will always be one of my cult favorite drawings that he did. Um, <laughs> I, I thought, um, you know, you know, Blood Jammer, you know, the, uh, his Cosmos drawing. I think we're we're, oh, we're yeah. um, seeing the evolution of Cosmos. So I mean, yeah, Werner Werner was fantastic. Um, but to get back to your question, um, I think that um, you know I felt like I had a little bit more creative freedom with the tag teams because Tom's stories were really focused on the top of the card. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd given us Torn Kalem, he'd given us Ko Keller, he'd given us you know Omega, he'd given us Morpheus. So really, I felt like there was a lot of freedom out there in the tag teams because we don't see the game masters till 2079 and star warriors a rookie. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and cosmos is still a little green at that point, you know? So you're going, okay, we've got, you know, some, some play here. We, we, we can, I could sort of build some tag teams for the 2070s um, and, and, and sort of make them interesting because, uh, you know, I guess to take a, a step back, one of the things I always felt was, you know, Tom had written the headlines for the classics period. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't come up with another single star who was going to outshine those guys, because why wouldn't they have been in one of the, the classics books at that point? Um, sure. You know, because Tom, Tom had done, you know, uh, was it four classics books? So it's like if these guys were that good, they would have been mentioned already. So I, I felt like, but with the tag teams, I felt like I had a little bit more latitude. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in terms of, you know, their styles, you know, being brawlers, but still having submission, uh, I, I kind of liken them, as, you know, to like an MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. You get lots of guys who are brawlers who then submit people, yeah. um, you know, and, and they're, so these guys were strikers, but they also knew how to submit somebody. And, and I felt like in the context of POW, 
Um, that fed was going to be a rough and tumble fed, and to rely on a referee to count somebody out might not exactly be your best bet. Sure. Um, and, and, and so you'd want to make the guy tap so there was no question. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that that definitely came through, and I did kind of see them as being like shoot fighters um, you know, in, in, in general. And, and, and they, they brought a nice texture to the fed. One of the things that happened for me, you know, blood kind of, um, overperformed a little bit early on to the point where I was genuinely considering, you know, throwing him into some singles competition. Um, but, but luckily Omega kind of put him in his place and I was able to, you know, to to (laughs) run with defiance. Um, and, uh, I, I just loved the, the fact that because, you know, there weren't really the face heel dynamics um, as strong as you would get come like 2087. It was, it was great to be able to play with their personalities. And I'm curious, you know, if your intent behind creating some of these guys was to give a little bit more of uh, an open template and a little bit more freedom. Um, You know, not that Tom doesn't give a lot of freedom, obviously, because I mean, that's one of the points of the game is to stoke that creativity, but you know, clearly it's, you know, you just know Thanos is the bad guy, Star Wars, the good guy, that sort of thing. Whereas I feel like the characters that you were creating, there was a lot of latitude to decide, you know, maybe there's an, a certain bit of nobility about a guy like Jammer that, that we, you know, the, that we don't necessarily see right off the bat. And so I enjoyed kind of playing with that. Was that part of your intent? Yeah. Well, I, I think that we, again, we get back to the, you know, Tom had set up this sort of sandbox where there's no good guys and bad guys. There, there's, there's, or I should say no heroes and villains. So you have to have like, it's a lot of the guys have to, each guy has to have some nobility to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there, right? He'd have been run out of the Fed. Um, So like Blacklash and Bullwhip um, being run out of the Fed. Um, Sure. So so I think that, um, yeah, the the intent was always to have some redeeming quality um, in these guys. And, um, you know, I mean, even Jammer, you know, he winds up with a knee injury. um, Yeah. You know, as we go through time. And and, and there's certain, um, I'll just say... uh, um, you know, nobility to him coming back, yeah. right? In, you know, and everything. So, yeah, I, I wanted these guys to be, you could see how they weren't, you know, you could have them be sort of a little more rough and tumble, which may be compared to like the Wind Riders or somebody like that. Obviously, they might be a little more heelish compared to them, but yeah. not to the point that they couldn't be cheered by someone else. Right. That's you know it's interesting that you that you mentioned that because I, I definitely want to talk about the Wind Riders quite a bit later because they had a very interesting run for me, um, but we'll we'll get there one step at a time. Um, Todd, I'm I'm curious as to you know your thoughts. I didn't really give you a chance to talk too much about Paladin Power, um, but since these two teams dovetail so nicely, you know both being from POW, you know having the the rivalry with one another, um, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about these four guys. I mean, I do remember having a lot of really fun uh, matches with them. Some really competitive, like, I remember tons of tokens going on there. and Really, you know, like, uh, really having, you know, who's going to win this one and really booking a lot of rematches with those guys. Um, Yeah, I think, if I do remember, I think uh, you mentioned Blood had a singles, like, kind of a singles push. I do remember doing some type of, like, a you know, a little bit of a hardcore type of uh, thing, kind of like a, almost like a POW ch- like championship that kind of went through my early years there. And I do remember him kind of 
having you know do, doing some damage in that along with some of the other guys we'd see later on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, tons of fun guys, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's been a long time since I used them. But again, I remember just some epic, epic, like brutal matches between all of them. Yeah, um, I, I definitely the, the the brutality between them was was always on display when when they got in the ring. And I did have some DQ finishes. I put them in cages. Um, I you know definitely had uh, a lot of fun. Uh, some Titan Death matches um, with them. You know there was a lot of blood spilt. No no pun intended. So uh, certainly four of my standout guys. Um, I felt like you know if I'm if I'm imagining this is is is, is a, you know real that they, they, they certainly put butts in seats. You know, they, those were guys that you could depend on um, to, to really fill uh, an audience that wanted to see a match between them, but also just wanted to see them, you know, regardless of who they were facing. Um, one of the tag teams that Tom created uh, that, of course, is, is around in 2074 um, are the Thalassians, um, Thetis and Vortex, uh, you know, a, a pair of, of interesting, um, you know, uh, more agile sort of competitors, um, tag specialists, you know, they, they have tag finishers. They don't even have a singles finisher, either one of them. Um, and, and, you know, lots of, lots of defensive tag out, uh, on their cards. Um, Todd, when, you know, when you saw these guys, uh, did you have any initial impressions? Uh, I mean, just pure, pure tag team. Uh, and I really liked having one that was like such a tag team specialist in there such a tag team specialist that they didn't even want to compete for the heavyweight title i really love that right. part of the storyline there like yeah you know we you need some guys to bow out of the tournament yeah we're not we're not participating we're, we're good we'll go for the tag titles um and i guess they they did have their run in the tag tournament for me and, and had their spots here and there uh contended for the tag team titles a little bit here and there when i was running it never won it but we're always always a fun team to kind of play with just those quick tags and things like that. And I, I did enjoy having that, that pure, pure tag team uh, in, in the set. And I liked how Mike uh, wrote them in within the whole, how they started out really classics. Yeah, I completely agree. Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about them? Well, the cross currents, um, truthfully, they were probably my least favorite tag team that I inherited mm-hmm. and so you know it's, it's it was it was interesting it's just one that, that, that didn't you know uh it, it didn't hit the mark for me so I tried to come up with something for them that sort of made them more interesting which was that you know they were tag specialists so it was this thing where they're like nope we're not you know we're going to just turn down the opportunity we could win that the, the singles championship but we just don't want it sure right you know no nope, no nope, we're good you know we're good there yeah. So I, I, it was it was sort of something just a, a way to sort of add some uh, additional texture to the character that sort of lined up with the the stats that were there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they they did well for me, but they never they never won the title. They they you know they had a few shots. Um, they were always a good team to throw on in like you know the opening match. Uh, or to, you know, to pair them up with, you know, younger teams in particular. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would kind of agree with your assessment, Mike. And, and I liked what you did with them. I agree, you know, with what Todd said, you know, it was, it was, it was easy to kind of just imagine them as being only tag competitors and, and, and not have to ever worry about like, you know, that was one of the things in, in my early 
GWF days with like 2087 and 2088, there were a lot of times where I would, you know, uh, have a, a tag guy, you know, in singles action. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, often, I mean, all the time, you, you know, you'd, you'd find like Proteus taking on Brute or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, you know, singles matches were, were definitely a staple. And you saw a lot of that in early WWF as well. You still still see it to this day where, you know, uh, uh, if the tag team's in a feud with another tag team, instead of having a tag team match, you, you throw, you know, two of the guys in there in a singles match. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, they they because they didn't do that, it was much easier to just use them as sort of like a utility team. Um, and, you know, in fact, uh, I, oftentimes I, I use them as sort of a stepping stone. It's like once, once somebody beat the cross currents, I'd put them, you know, in a match with a, a with potential contender and whoever won would end up, you know, uh, uh, getting a title shot. Um, now two of my, what ended up being one of my favorite guys, I, I, I'm not going to say say that they both were, although I did like one of them, the Mensons, Cordsar uh, and Trataris. Cordsar ended up being legitimately one of my favorite characters to work with because, pardon my French, he was just such a shit. And so it was, it was so much fun to have him be this, you know, just this yellow cowardly heel who could wrestle, but also uh have this big gun in Trataris to kind of like take up a little bit of the slack. Uh I would love to hear a little bit about the creation of these two, Mike. Well, uh, you know, I, I really um you sort of get back to the whole thing where we don't have villains and heroes, but you kinda need some jerks, right? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, and and Cordstar was was definitely a jerk. I, I obviously teased the fact that he might have been related to Cordonis. Yep. Um, and, and you know whether that's true or not, uh, he was promoter uh, for sure. But but I felt like it teasing just by by even implying that there might be lineage there. I think I gave people a picture of who this guy was, and. You know, and and it was I, I liked being able to throw in the little bit about how now we have seventeen guys for the tournament, so you guys pick who's not in. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was it was like yeah, we don't care which one of you's in, just it's only one of you. Um, right. I I I, I uh, and he throws a tantrum, and Omega and Morpheus are like tough luck. Yeah. Um, and and so again, is he a villain for that? No, right? I mean he's kind of wronged a little bit in this, right? Everybody else was given a chance. He wasn't. Um, so, so he's got a little bit of an ax to grind. Um, and you know, maybe he wouldn't have been such a jerk had he been given a chance. Right. But we'll never know. Cause he, cause he was left out. Um, so that, that's sort of where I, uh, you know, I wanted there to be that little thing. And I, I just happened to like the Menson characters. I thought they were, uh, you know, Mensar and Cordonis are, are two of my favorite all-time characters. So it was, it was. I just thought it was kind of cool to take two guys from that race and put them in there. And that way, there's a history that you know sort of explains why, even if he's not related to them, why Cordonis would even be interested in wrestling in the first place. Um, you know that, that that his planet actually has people who with a history in the GWF and in wrestling. So. That was kind of the goal there. Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely worked, and and you know, for me, uh, the the team, you know, a lot of the other teams that we have are kind of um, 
you know, even in, in a lot of ways, you know, similar body types or similar, you know, maybe not exactly similar styles, but, uh, you know, similar enough in their stats that you see them working as like this, this sort of like well-oiled machine, whereas these guys, you know, were uh, clearly, you know, similar in a lot of ways, but you had the big man and the little man. And I, and I loved that dynamic um, because it wasn't something that we had really with any of these other teams. Um, you know, Quartzart did some interesting things for me. He actually penned Torin Calum in a tag team match once upon a time. And it kicked off a little mini feud between the two of them, which I greatly enjoyed. And one of the reasons why is because they both have submission finishers. So eventually I booked them in a submission match and, um, you know, just had a lot of fun, uh, with this guy who again was seen as a bit of a whiner, um, you know, was, was maybe seen as a, being a little bit cowardly hiding behind, you know, the big man. And, uh, it, it was just such a great character to play with. So I really appreciated him. And then, of course, being a Minson and having that tie in was also, uh, also a lot of fun. Uh, Todd, what are your memories of the Minsons? I mean, I absolutely loved uh, Cordonis and Mensar when they were out, so I was thrilled to see the return of the Mensons and a little bit of that same kind of dynamic with this team. Uh, you know, the big, the big guy and the kind of the loud mouth. Um, I can't remember how well they actually did, but yeah, I definitely was thrilled to have like some Menson representation again. I think that if I'm not mistaken. These might be the only other ones in the in the universe, right? I don't really know of any other Bensons in any other sets. Uh, I, not yet. No, oh, not yet. <laughs> oh, I, like that. I, like that. I love the tease. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I can't think of anyone else. Um, the you know they would actually go on to have a uh, short run with the titles, um, which I'll get to here in, in a little bit, but. Um, yeah, for the most part, they were, again, kind of ended up being uh, more of like a storyline team. Um, you know, they weren't the same as the Cross Currents who were, you know, just a nice sort of utility team. They were just, they were like the Mensons for me were a team that kind of always would further a story, whether it was their own story or, you know, kind of getting um, a team that like, like Defiance, like they had a nice feud with Defiance for a little while. And uh, it was great because it meant that Paladin Power had uh, freedom to not, face defiance um which which again i just enjoyed them as a team another guy who i think really added to the texture of the fed and uh was 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 a wonderful as it's even described in the book kind of a prototype in a lot of ways and and helped to further storylines is rick and prince i ended up also just loving rick and prince uh for a lot of reasons um Mike, once again, I'll ask you, tell me, tell me about the genesis of Rick and Prince. Well, it started with the finisher. Actually, the, <laughs> the, 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 the finisher was the genesis of that character. And then it was just trying to build something around the guy who's going to finish matches with a little blow. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I, again, we, we needed somebody who was a jerk you know, so he could play the, you know, sort of the heel role in a match without being a bad guy. Um, you know, he, he, and, and he, even he had some redeeming qualities to him. Um, you know, but, but, but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was the finisher that, that, that was the, I, I knew exactly what I wanted the finishing move to be the guy to be. And, and I, you know, wanted to call it bow to the prince. So then, Rick and Prince was the name. You know, that was sort of, that's how it kind of came together. 
Nice. Nice. Uh, Todd, what are your memories of Rick and Prince? I, I think this is my favorite, uh, maybe or at least one of the two favorites of uh, the characters that Mike created. Actually, well, I guess one of the other ones there might not have been a creation of Mike, but uh, yeah, absolutely love Rick and Prince. He was uh, definitely, and I mentioned kind of like that uh, POW hardcore thing that I kind of had going throughout the early years. He was a standout in that. Uh, you know, low blowing people uh, with no regard for anybody's uh, well being there. Uh, definitely <laughs> a lot of fun to use. And uh, uh, yeah, no, I think I absolutely loved him. Low playing matches uh, with him. Uh, definitely, I think the standout for me of, of Mike's creations, at least in those, those early years. Yeah, he, you know, he ended up again kind of being a guy that a lot of storylines ended up kind of uh, revolving around, um, or he was be involved in them. Uh, he, you know, he had some great stuff, uh, you know, early on with K.O. Keller, uh, you know, some great stuff with uh, uh, Defiance and Blood and Jammer, and, you know, was, was just kind of always, you know, good for mostly undercard stuff. You know, he was never a guy that was going to be at the top of the card. Um, you know, his, his stats kind of dictated that, but uh, he was definitely a guy that was interesting that you could build some really cool, fun, interesting matches around. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, with that finisher, I mean, just, just so much fun. I, I, I mean, it, it was, it was a lot of, uh, I don't know. It was just enjoyable um, to, to use him and utilize him and, and the way that he interacted with other, other wrestlers um you know the sort of i'm better than you attitude and then of course the finisher um one thing that's interesting for me is that you in, in the booklet you mentioned this earlier todd or excuse me mike you mentioned earlier about jammer's uh injury and having to come back from that you outline in the booklet that it's an injury at the hands of rick and prince which uh you know again i mean obviously there's freedom in anything that you know that you write or tom writes etc for me you know i kind of i kind of thought about maybe trying to make that happen but it just so happens that where i was uh in in my in my history um the it, it didn't it didn't quite work out that way um I'm trying to actually find the actual match where it happened because I, I want to, I want to, you know, get this right, but uh, not that anyone's really paying attention, but it, it actually ended up being, um, I'm going to find it. I promise I'm going to find it. Um, well, maybe I won't find it anyway. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 um, that particular, you know, having that, particular facet of uh the the storyline and having jammer you know out with the injury and put on the shelf and using rick and prince as kind of the guy that, that instigates that um I, I i am kind of curious as to you know what might have been uh you know in your thoughts when you decided to to do that well i, I really i was looking to just sort of what i didn't want to have was you know because obviously we're dealing with a limited number of cards here i guess i didn't really discuss that whole um, situation. When when I went to do the set, um, and I'm proposing it to Tom, I was afraid that he would only say yes once. Mm. Because my original plan was to actually have it be a two-set release. And I was so nervous that I wouldn't get a second set that I just did it all in one, which sort of limited the number of guys I could have on a roster at once. 
And what I didn't want to have was, you know, year three, same as year two, year four, same as year three. Like I wanted there to be some changes in the roster and, and, and having him sit out a year with an injury, you know, allowed, you know, blood to have a little singles run, you know, like to just sort of, and also to have him, you know, you know, sort of make him a little bit more sympathetic so that when he comes back, you know, you're maybe a little more invested in him. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that that was something that definitely worked for me because Jammer was kind of the member of Defiance that I wasn't as interested in. You know, Blood was the guy for me that seemed to perform well. Uh, I enjoyed having singles matches with him. You know, Jammer was was just kind of, he was Blood's tag team partner in a lot of ways. And then the injury happened, and I found the match now actually, because the point I was driving to is that it actually, the injury came at the hands of the Mensons. It just kind of happened naturally for me. Um, and, and you know, Cordsair and, and Chitaris were responsible for that injury and bragged about it and held it over their heads. And, you know, while Jammer was out and uh, it, it really kind of spiced things up for me and helped to make the Mensons even more interesting and Cordsair even more insufferable. So uh, I was glad that it happened that way, actually, uh, in, in my fed. And when Jammer came back, like you're saying, it made him more sympathetic and it made me get behind him and have even more fun with him. Uh, so I thought it was a great move and I, and I, you know, I enjoyed it and it made me enjoy using him even more. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because again, in the booklet, you know, you write that it was in a match against Rick and Prince. And so I'm very interested to hear from other promoters as to, you know, if they ran these years and they, and they ran that angle, if, if Jammer was injured at the hands of someone else, as opposed to, to Rick and Prince, or if they just didn't even have a match, they just kind of had it, you know, be a, like a tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Um, so, uh, Todd, um, I want to ask you, uh, about the, the next guy on my list here, because, uh, he's a guy that had a card that, that Tom had created, but then Mike created a card that's really like, you know, in his prime and that's KO Keller. Um, tell me your thoughts about KO Keller and maybe even if you had any, you know, before maybe early classics that you might recall. Yeah, see, he so he was. Let's see, I was just looking through everything there. So his his car came out in twenty eighty four. Set is when he he came in, kind of like the past the prime. Right. Card. This is kind of like much more earlier, like prime version of him, uh, which was definitely cool to see uh, that. Um, trying to remember where he i think he made if i remember right he made it to the semifinals of uh, the the first title tournament uh losing out to, to morpheus uh there um i mean I, I struggling to remember too much more that he did beyond there but i mean definitely cool to see that like you know kind of gave him a little bit more life and a little bit more like you know where, what he was you know before we we saw him kind of in a you know quote-unquote official capacity later on Right. Um, yeah, he was in the, the finals of my first tournament. It was him and Torin Kalem, and, and those two had a killer feud. And I love the fact that it was the you know this matchup of a guy who was kind of this more submission mat based kind of you know technical wrestler, and this guy who was more of the striker and and you know used uh, his fists. Um, so, Mike, the decision to to create this prime version of Keller, you know, for some it might seem like a no brainer. I'm curious, was it was it that way with you? Was it just something that you kind of were like 
I got to make this guy and I got to make him, you know, in his prime. Well, you know, in some ways he was the easiest guy to do and in some ways the hardest um, because Tom mentions in the 2084 booklet that he is past his prime. But if you look at that card, it's anything but, I mean, this is not Omega 2087, <laughs> right? right? I mean, this is a right. guy who's very good. So I had to make him, and, and, and it was the one I'll call, you know, one card I felt like I had a little bit of liberty to make into a sort of a rival for Omega and Morpheus because, mm-hmm. you know, we had Torrin Calum, who Tom made in his prime with the 2074 set. Right. And then you have this guy who's around from the beginning, but, you know, not in his prime yet in the card that we saw. So I, I, need, I needed to make him good. I mean, I, I couldn't have made him like, oh, his rookie card or something because he's not a rookie. This is his prime. So, um, so in some ways it was easy because I just kind of had to take where he was and bump him up a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, I will say that's one piece of art that really, I think helped sell the character really. Yeah. I mean, I think Werner did a, a really good job. You, you feel like, as you said, he's a striker and, uh, you know, so it was, but he was fun. It was just, he was a fun character to do. He's one of my, um, you know, as I said, my big four, um, yep. you know, in, in, in the 2070s. So, um, yeah, yeah he's awesome. Yeah. Same I for love, me. Love uh, doing that card. You know, he's a, he's a two time, two time champion. Um, he, he was the guy that actually dethroned Omega after Omega had his, you know, two year reign, uh, with the title. Um, you know, Keller ended up uh, being the one to beat him. Um, he didn't hold it very long. You know, Omega ended up picking it back up afterwards. But uh, again, his, you know, his feuds that, that he had, um, not really feuds. I mean, that, you know, like we said, that's not really what this era is about. But his rivalries, rivalries, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his, his rivalries with guys like Omega and Morpheus and Torin Calum were stellar. Um no pun intended. I also love the fact that you put Keller and Commander Sam together, um, you know, as, as a team, as an occasional tag team, because there was something about that that I felt like it gave Keller the opportunity to kind of have a little, you know, hand in molding Sam into who he would become. And so it gave me a great idea to make Keller, you know, a bit, a bit hot-headed at times. Um, and, it, and it just played really well into, into all of the, the programs that I set him up in. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about Sam. So Sam has an official, you know, 2074 card uh, via Tom. And uh, I think it's a great, I think it's a great card for a number of reasons. I think it's, it, it shows a young Commander Sam, obviously, but he's not a slouch. Like, this is a guy who's still going to go out there and win matches and challenge, but he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's probably not going to be challenging for the title. And if he is, he's probably not going to win. Um, so, Todd, what were your initial impressions of that 2074 card? Uh, well, 20, the 2079 card is awesome. So, it was, you know, that was like super prime Sam. So, it was really kind of cool to see that rookie card uh there and just kind of like where he started out and really kind of and, and his uh rival who i'm sure we'll talk about shortly kind of cool to see that first first view of uh the earth versus saigonus saigonus how would you pronounce that feud that goes on for many many years up until uh you know even more recently uh right 
So yeah, it's really cool seeing Sam, who's you know had that such a longevity in the game, like where he started and and whatnot. And so that 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 was cool that Tom included that, and you know, kind of seeing his growth throughout all these early classics uh, into where he ended up in 2087 uh, was really neat. How uh, how Mike was able to kind of write him in through there and all the different uh, feuds there, but uh, yeah, not very impressive in 2074, but cool to get that uh, that that view of him uh, to starting off. Well, the thing that I loved about him is that he was, you know, he was, for whatever reason, he was one of my favorite characters, always has been. I love, you know, he was, he was a guy that I loved in, in 2087. He was a guy that I loved, I thought was interesting when he kind of turned heel later on down the road. I, you know, I, I, I loved having him in an early iteration. You know, I, I loved having that prime card from 2079, but I loved even more that I was getting to use this rookie card. He was in the very first GWF match uh, for me. My very first card, it was it was him and Torpor, um, and uh, and Sam ended up winning. So it was kind of the perfect debut in a lot of ways, and uh, I, I just I, I loved it. And and Torpor was someone uh, who I thought was just a great undercard guy to have and a great feud for Sam to have because it gave me the opportunity to run matches between these two, you know, fairly exclusively for a while, and 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 have some interesting you know stuff happen between them. Uh, and, and almost protect Sam in a way because Sam was going to win more often than not in that feud. Um, Mike, what were your thoughts? You know, having this rookie card and 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 talk about Torpor as well. You know, having those two cards, um, you know, in these early years. Well, I mean, I I think you know every roster needs you know some some guys you can feed to the big boys, right? I mean, right. And, and 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 they were it, and and I think that. Um, you know, Torbro to me was always a little uh, bit of a pathetic character. You know, it was like he was there for a little while. He wasn't good enough, and he got, then he ran off. You know, to his corner of the galaxy. Um, you know, he he clearly wasn't getting better. You know, there's some guys who have a, a, an athletic ceiling, right? And yeah. he clearly had hit his. Um, whereas Sam was continuing to get better. I I think that. Um, you know, I mean, Sam's obviously one of the iconic characters in GWF history. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you kind of had to give him the room to grow. And, and uh, you know, he was, you know, a little ahead of Cosmos at that point, um, but also was a little older than Cosmos. So, um, you know, I, I think it was, I mean, I love Sam. So it was, it was cool just sort of having him there and, you know, having him go ahead and beat up Torper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it was a great, it was a great kind of callback to, and, and, and we can certainly talk about, you know, whether or not it was sensitive or insensitive to have done this for another time. We're just going to talk about the fact that it was something that historically was done. It was a great callback to the fact that you had, you know, in the fifties through the sixties, even into the seventies, you had this great tradition of having like American, you know, baby face wrestlers face these, you know, dastardly German or Japanese heels. And I think that because of the conflict, you know, the galactic conflict that we're coming out of, it was a great opportunity to kind of have echoes of that with the, you know, Signusians and, 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 you know, these, these Terrans, you know, the, in the solar system, it was, you know, it was, it was wonderful to kind of play off of that a bit. Um, and, and I, I just, I, there was something about that, 
that you know, kind of played into a little bit of nostalgia. Uh, I don't even know if I can call it nostalgia because I wasn't alive then. I didn't see that, but, I, but knowing <laughs> enough about wrestling, I know in the history that that's something that we saw a lot of. And even, you know, going into the, the early 90s and seeing, you know, like what happened with Sergeant Slaughter and stuff like that. So it's always been something that wrestling's played with. And I think that, um, that there was something about this feud that was a nice echo of that. Um, I'm sorry, were you going to say something, Mike? Well, no, I just going to, you know, there, there's, I think it's, it's something that, um, you know, you always have the, um, the local versus the outsider. I think that's basically the, the, the um, that's, that's sort of, that's how it's always been booked. I mean, even, you know, even when it's not the USA guy versus the evil foreign person, you, you've had stuff between U.S. and Canada. You've had, I mean, even in, in back in the territory days, you know, you'd have guys like Ric Flair, who's a heel, but he's getting cheered in North Carolina because it's against some guy from the North, right? You know, it's like, you know, we're going to cheer for our guy, even if he's a bad guy. So I, I think that um, that's sort of been done a lot, and this is a, a, a great sort of example of that archetype. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great way to put it. Um, speaking of archetypes, uh, for me, the, the, the blueprint in a lot of ways uh, for, the, for the early years, and for the, in particular like 2074 through maybe like 2077 or so, the guy who, even more than Omega, even more than Morpheus, you know, in, any of the other guys in the set that I was drawn to, that was my kind of hero, uh, he was my first Galaxian champion. Um, I, I, you know, the angles that I had with him in particular, all the way through to his send off when he retired, uh, the guy that I loved more than anything was Torin Calum. Um, Tom did the card for him for the 2074 set. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty fantastic card. He's definitely a guy that can challenge anybody at the top. Um, he's got this great, you know, his the thing that I love about his move set is that it is this perfect mix of kind of like mat wrestling, you know, some big moves, and he just he just feels like the complete wrestler. Um, Todd, what were your initial impressions of him? I mean, great, great grappler. Um, yeah, I mean, just just uh, really, I mean, one of those guys that you know, even though he wasn't as flashy as some of the other ones, but one that you're definitely drawn to. Uh, I think he, yeah, he made it to the finals of my first tournament against, uh, uh, Morpheus lost that one there, had some great matches afterwards. Uh, he was always at the top of the card, um, in the ones that I, wrote, I, I did, but yeah, just great, great character. So yeah, not, not surprised. He was such a big, uh, part of your fan. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what was it like, you know, kind of writing for him, if you will, and, you know, using him. Uh, uh, in those early days? Well, uh, you know, again, another one of my big four. I mean, I think he's one of the the real greats on the roster. I think, you know, he's, you know, probably, for me, he was like the squeakiest baby face that, that <laughs> there was. Uh, I mean, there, there, he was just, a, to me, a no-nonsense guy who went in there, played by the rules, but was just, you know, he could tie in a pretzel. Um Right. You know, and that, that was, he was just fun. Like, you know, it was like, you didn't need a story, like a big story with him. 
you didn't need, you know, I'm just going to beat you. You know, that, that, that's he, he, you know, he's that uh, intense character who just, you know, walks to the ring and says, okay, let's go. Yeah. I, I completely agree. That's, that's exactly how he was for me. Um, the, you know, one of the interesting things that happened with him early on is he had a match with KO Keller and he ended up getting disqualified. And I was like, man, how did I, how, what am I going to do? How does he get disqualified? You know, his disqualification <laughs> is three for God's sakes. You know, it's like, what, what am I going to do now? And so what I ended up doing is I had him cut a promo where he apologized and I just thought, like, you know, this is great because, A, it adds a little depth. It shows that this guy, you know, he, he might lose his cool every once in a while. He's a fighter like the rest of these guys are fighters. And, you know, that plays on your emotions and, and, and it's a physical contest and you might go a little overboard. But he respects his opponent and the fans enough that he's going to come out and he's going to say, that was wrong of me and I'm sorry. And, and I promise to do better next time. Um, that said, I had him in some, you know, some brutal matches. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't afraid to step into a cage. He wasn't afraid to do a Titan death match. Uh, he, he was I actually had him in a ladder match at one point. Um, one of the interesting things, and this will, this will be a quick little segue cause we're, we're just about through with the, uh, the initial cards here. Um, the, uh, the initial set of 19 cards that we have, I mean, it's not really set because obviously it's cobbled together from a few different sets, but those initial 19 cards that are used for the first like year and a half of the GWF um, were, were great. And I, and I got to a point where I just felt like I wanted some, some new blood. And one of the cool projects that took place on the board and was, you know, cards were even available in, in Promoted Prime at one point were the Lost and Found stars of the classic era. And um, they were, you know, fan-created cards that, you know, were made to fit in with the classics era cards and so i didn't use many i I think i only used three actually um but the first two i brought in just as kind of an exhibition match were el demonico and el virtuoso i thought it'd be fun to have kind of like a cruiserweight you know masked man match on the card i brought them in and for whatever reason somehow i don't remember exactly how it happened el virtuoso and torin calum actually teamed up at one point and it was great because it gave me something to add even more depth and i'll be damned if torin calum and el virtuoso didn't win the tag team titles at one point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Torin Kalem was easily one of the most decorated stars of my early years. He won the Phil Singer Cup, which is my singles tournament. Um, I know some people have it as like their tag tournament. But uh, for me, it was a singles tournament. And, and you know, he, he was the, the definition of legend. Um, you know, by the time he, he kind of rode off into the sunset uh, in 2080, he was, you know, he was a guy that everyone was sorry to see go and had proven his, his worth without a doubt. Um, one of the guys that he tussled with, and you, you, you mentioned this in the booklet for early classics, uh, is a character that I loved. Uh, and I think a lot of other people did too, is Santon the Loner, which is a card that Tom did for the 2074 set. Um, you know, we would come to find out a lot about Santon later on down the road. Um, but in the, in the initial years, you know, he's this masked man that we don't really know anything about. Uh, Mike, what were your, what were your thoughts in writing for him? Well, uh, you, I think you just said it. I mean, you know, to some degree, I couldn't write much about him because <laughs> he was this mystery man. Uh, you know, I, but I tried to give it like, you know, as much as I could, like he's got a plan and you just can't see it. Yeah. Like that was sort of the, the way I tried to approach him. And, and, uh, you know, he was, but it, it was a fun character to, to, um, to have around and, and to be part of the Fed. So, I mean, it was, 
it was kind of cool, and, and he was able to rotate through a couple different guys who feuded with. I forget. Yeah. Do we do we know at that point uh, who he would turn out to be? Because I know like his the, the his eventual character was around before that release. Yeah, I, I believe it, it was revealed uh, at some point in that uh, Civil War uh, era. Uh, I believe it was revealed that he was uh, Thacker, the oppressor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I couldn't. But, I honestly uh, couldn't remember either. To be honest with you, I was I was kind of struggling to to figure out which year that was because I I thought that when he was introduced in the set at the time that Tom put him in the set, we didn't know that, but it was, but it was like the next year or something like that. It was, it was revealed. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely, uh, included if, if my notes are correct here, uh, in in the GWF promoter, Tom, uh, I think, uh, certainly had let it go by that. Okay. 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 Um, yeah, because it, yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't have been, yeah, I guess it would have been like, uh, yeah, because the, the, that set came out right around the mega tournament time frame. Yeah, so p- p- Promoter 25 would be uh, for those of you scoring at home. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Would be where you'd want to look. Gotcha. Well, man, Mike, thank you for being on top of it for us. Um, yeah, one of the things that I loved about Santon is that he was a guy that could be a legitimate threat but he wasn't necessarily going to win the big matches. So I had a series of great matches with him and uh, Omega. Um, I had, uh, you know, some great matches with him and Torin Kalem. Um, you know, he was, he was a guy that, that was kind of um, always, he was like upper mid card for me, you know, he yeah. could get into the main event, but he wasn't, that's uh, that wasn't his residency. You know, he wasn't Omega or Keller or Kalem or Morpheus. Um, sometimes Morpheus wasn't even Morpheus, but, but uh, I, I enjoyed him so much. And I, for me, he always spiced things up because he felt like he was a guy that would brawl. And, and that was always fun because, you know, the, there were a lot of guys, quite frankly, in those early days that could do that, but this was a guy that seemed to relish it. And, and so it was fun to have him in matches with other brawlers. Um, you know, I, I even had him feud with Rick and Prince a little bit. Um, I had him, you know, in, in all kinds of matches. He actually, believe it or not, would go on to win uh, the Galaxian Championship at one point because the guy who dethroned Omega after his second two-year reign was another lost, found Stars of the Classic Era guy by the name of Harley Marlboro. Um, I ended up bringing Harley in because I thought he was a cool character and I thought I needed someone new for Omega to feud with because he'd had you know, 17 title defenses and basically a four year reign that was only interrupted for like 30 days. So it's like, I need some new blood. I brought Harley in and, and much to my surprise, like I thought Omega would beat Harley, Harley beat him. And so I was like, Oh, okay, what do I do now? And instead of just having Omega, you know, challenge again for the title, I decided to put Harley through his paces and Santon was his first opponent and Santon beat him for the title. So it was like, well, all right, Santon's my champion. Um, <laughs> how, how did he do for you, Todd? Uh, not so great. I think he was one of those characters that was interesting to use. I mean, I, I love doing the one year where I think I had him and Mimic engage in a rivalry, a so-called rivalry. Nobody knows if it was really a rivalry or not because either one of them spoke. Right. So there was no, like, it was one of those, like, you know, hey, you had a little, uh, 
do they hate each other? They is it just a scheduling quirk that they keep fighting each other? Uh, so I, I thought that was <laughs> a little little comedic relief in the middle of the, of the book there. But uh, absolutely, yeah, that was fun. Well, I think it's cool too that you have. Uh, you know, unbeknownst maybe to to the you know fictional fans of the promotion, but obviously the promoters that would have been working with him uh, as promoter twenty five would have told us uh, per Mike uh, that we we had a gladiator. So it's like the beginning, the first year of the Fed, you had you know Omega, you know who'd go on to have this incredible you know lineage that would kind of help to shape the course of GWF history in so many ways. You had Commander Sam, who would be a staple of the Fed for you know ever. You you know you you have uh, Titans in Paladin Power. You have Mensons, and you know and you, you have a Gladiator in the ring. Um, you know, kind of scouting, and 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 who would go on later to be you know Thakur, uh, the Oppressor. And so it was. It, there was something about that that I thought was really cool. And even though it was nothing that ever you know was stated, even though it was nothing that I ever played with in game uh, specifically, it was nice. For for me to know that secret and to realize that this was an important integral piece of GWF history. Um, now, one of the guys that he feuded with the most and a guy who I think for a lot of fans of the early classic set has been a standout and was so much fun to use it for so many reasons. Uh, the last card that we will, we will talk about in this particular year is screw. Um, Screw had a pretty incredible card, you know, easily could main event, uh, could brawl, could, you know, could, could get in there and just be this powerful monster if you wanted, needed one. Uh, great card, great artwork by Werner. Um, Mike, tell us about the creation of Screw. Well, you know, uh, truthfully, Screw wasn't my original idea. Um, it, what had happened was we were, um, uh, you know, as I was developing early classics, uh, Chris and Jeff were working on the Genesis book. And so I, I said, you know, hey, I'd like there to be some integration. These guys are supposed to come from the POW. You're writing about the origins of the POW. Give me a character, you know, you know, and just tell me a little bit about him and, and I'll run with it. So he said, oh, well, it's got to be screwed. So I said, okay. So you know, he he he, he uh, sent me the, the description of him and some, I guess, some of the artwork from Genesis at that point that had been developed. And I said, okay, I can work with this, and and just sort of started writing it. And then, obviously, um, the the drawing Warner did for early classics came after he had drawn him for the for the graphic novel. So it was it was, I mean, look, he was sort of like. The, uh, I mean, I mean, he's the bad dude, the, you know, the big bad dude of the, uh, of the Fed. And I don't mean it from a, from a heel villain standpoint, but just from a, he walks in the locker room and you go, uh oh. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, he, he, he's the locker room enforcer. Um, so, you know, nobody's going to mess with him because he is way past his prime and he's still tougher than you are. So, right. um, you know, that, that's sort of the, um, to me, that, that was the cool part of that character. It fit, you know, with Santon Maloner being in the Fed, you know, it, it, you know, having somebody who had a cleansing 
which would be, obviously be offensive to Santon. Um, yeah. You know, um, so it was, it was just sort of a neat little natural rivalry that we didn't even know was there until, um, you know, I, I had this suggestion and he just fit right into that, that role. So I, I loved having him just sort of, you know, what, you know, every, you know, every fed has that guy and, and, and he was it for, for this fed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it is, you know, again, kind of thinking of it in terms of, 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 of just rivalries and not feuds and not faces and not heels, you know, he, he's just, your kind of, like you said, the big bad dude, you know, this, this monster um, that you can, you know, have come in and, and, pose an immediate threat to anyone uh, and, and have, you know, great matches too, because again, his stats, you know, he's got a great card. Uh, Todd, uh, what are your thoughts and memories on screw? Well, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, one of the two guys that, you know, top one along with Rick and Prince and they said, well, maybe actually Mike didn't create it, but uh, yeah, screw definitely landmark guy in this set for me of one of the original ones that Tom did that Tom didn't create. Uh, so much fun with this guy. I mean, yeah, brawler could like beat up, uh, you know, just like a, you know, uh, yeah, a contender up there, but you know, obviously I think he'd get disqualified a lot. Um, you know, <laughs> de- uh, definitely had some, I had some nice battles with him and Rick and Prince uh, over that, mm-hmm. over that uh, you know, POW uh, you know, hardcore thing I was telling you about before. I do remember a lot of those brawls in there too. Um, but yeah, really cool to kind of see him introduced in the uh, the Genesis book and then that, have that one continue on. Uh, awesome, awesome character. So glad he, he, he was included in this. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he ended up actually, uh, oddly enough, spoiling some plans um, for me because, uh, you know, I was working towards his, his, you know, retirement basically uh, and thought, you know, he, he and Santon had had this great feud. I'd give him one shot at Santon after Santon won the belt from, from Arlie and, and what should happen, of course, screw wins. So screw was a champion. And uh, it was, you know, it was right towards the end of his career um, per the booklet. And and so he had this run with the title and, and Torrin Calum ended up, you know, beating him for the title. Um, and then after that, he rode off into the sunset. Um, but a great card. I, I loved using him. Um, you know, it was always fun to have, um, you know, hardcore matches with him and Santon. Uh, you know, he, he worked with and, and slash for Rick and Prince and against him, which was a lot of fun to use that dynamic as well. Um, great card, one of the standouts. Um, and that, you know, that kind of brings us through the first year and a half of the Fed because you've got, you know, the end of 2074 where the Fed starts. This is your roster all the way through 2075 and in the early parts of 2076. Um, and so, you know, that takes us through 2076. 2076 is an interesting year for multiple reasons um, and, and will obviously be easier to cover than, than everything we just did. But uh, one of the things that happens right off the bat is that we, we lose Jammer to injury. Uh, so he's out for the year. And then Blacklash and Bullwhip are, you know, run off. And they're, and they're headed out of the Fed as well. So we need some new blood. Uh, and, and, and we get it, we, we, we get it, uh, because we're going to get a tag team and two singles, uh, wrestlers. Uh, and I think that the, the best place to start for the new talent without a doubt is of course, Cosmos. 
Um, Mike, creating Cosmos' rookie card, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, you know, Cosmos is one of my, um, I mean, I think he's a, a lot of people's all-time favorite characters is Santos. Um, so, uh, you know, he's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and we, we did get a glimpse at him as a younger wrestler in um, 2079. And I think, you know, so now we need to have him be a little greener than he was in 2079, you know, but not, but he can't be some bumbling, um, you know, idiot who's going to get slapped around by everybody and look bad doing it. You know, he, he needs right. to, so, so, which is why, you know, we, we sort of made him unique in the story. He's, he's the youngest guy, you know, in, in the fed, um, you know, it's, um, you know, they waived, you know, they waived the minimum age requirements for him. He's that talented that, you know, here he is a teenager and they're bringing him in. Um, and I think that um, it was just kind of cool to like sort of have him be the, the young guy, but he's still very serious. You know, he's not some, he's not like, you know, the, um, you know, running around the crowd, you know, slapping five with everybody. He's a serious young man who's there to win. And, and, and we get to see <laughs> that glimpse of him. Um, and maybe he's not ready to win yet, but that's why he's there. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that was sort of the idea with, with, with the characters, you know, have given that opportunity to, um, to grow. Obviously he's, um, you know, he's not using the master lock yet as his finisher. He hasn't figured that part of it out. Um, so he, he's, you know, he's got some of his moves that you can see, but, but he uses kind of different moves that are, you know, he's not quite, at, at the, the level you'll see him at in a few years. Right, right. Uh, Todd, what were your initial impressions of the this rookie card? I mean, again, always cool to see the first ever card for an iconic character. I yeah. mean, we know, yeah, we we know like how talented and and everything Thantos uh, is later on. Uh, got a little bit of kind of you know seeing you know a little bit more than this with 2079 and his tag team, but like, you know, really kind of seeing where he started and kind of like that, that promise was really cool to see, uh, that, you know, Mike, Mike bringing that into the set here and really kind of seeing that very, very margin of, of, uh, of cosmos, uh, as this. So yeah, I, very cool that, that uh, Mike was able to include that. Yeah, it was you know it was such a huge moment for me, uh, and and I kind of you know was was eager to get to the point where he was introduced, and it was on my 18th card. So again, I was just running one card a month, and uh, so card 18, he comes in, and I had his debut matchup against Mimic, who we'll talk about in just a second, mm-hmm. and uh, he won, and he would go on to he, he lost his next match against Torpor, but then he would go on a tear and 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 basically win like you know five out of his first six matches. 
matches before he came up against Santon and, you know, Santon was able to put him in his place pretty quickly, but, um, but he, you know, he had a, a great rookie year for me and, and it was, it was one of those things where, again, he wasn't going to like come off and win the belt in his first year, but he was going to have much like you were saying, Mike, he was going to establish himself in a way that he didn't look like some schlub, you know, he wasn't a jobber, he wasn't enhancement talent. He was, he was there to, to, to learn and to grow and he was going to make his mark even early by up some wins and being you know being a bit of a standout as far as rookies go so i thought mission accomplished for sure and i loved using him i loved using him as kind of an, uh, again as sort of a playing chip between morpheus and, and and omega and the way that they were seeking to kind of mold this new young talent um so it was just a great opportunity and i loved those those early solo years for him before star warrior came into the fed um and it was just a great start um, again, I mentioned his, his, his first opponent was Mimic, which is a card that uh, Tom gave us. That was a 2084 uh, card. Um, Todd, initial impressions of Mimic? I mean, just a weird uh, <laughs> guy. Uh, it was really cool that even though he came in after the 2079, like when Tom wrote him in 2084, I was glad that Mike brought him in this early on into the early classics and kind of gave him a little bit of a, more of a place in the whole history of it. And, you know, I had some, obviously we'll talk, you know, later on uh, when we cover it about some of the unique partnerships and other things that he's had over the years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, he's like a lower, lower card guy, but you know, fun guy to use, you know, fun guy to, you know, put put some other guys over, and yeah, glad to see that uh, you know he, he helped uh, establish Cosmos and your Fed right off the bat. That that that's nice of <laughs> you to do that. So yeah, I you know I loved Mimic. The thing that happened with Mimic for me is he almost always had great matches. Like I would, you know, no matter who I put him up against, he would have just great matches that that lasted. You know, they went a good length of time. They had interesting uh, uh, progression and moves, and and so for me, he ended up being one of those undercard guys that you just like. He might never win a belt, but you were going because you wanted to see his work because he was gonna, you know, he's gonna put on a good match, uh, which I really enjoyed about him. Um, Mike, um, thoughts on Mimic? Well, you know, I mean, he was just a, a fun character that you could, you, I mean, in some ways he, he was perfect for the early classics period because with the tighter roster, you needed to kind of move guys around and you didn't need a reason for him. Mimic, you know, obviously isn't, doesn't speak. And so he just decides and picks people and it, it's not quite <laughs> flatters lottery here, but, but, but he can just pick guys that, okay, I think it'd be fun to have this, this guy feud with mimic and it just you know boom you know sort of just just add water um, right and, and and but but no i mean he's a fun guy my my one regret is not having the space to do um the one year uh imperial alliance mimic card when he teamed up with rick and prince yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that that's that that that's a card i wish had been made yeah. Well, that team for me, I, I always enjoyed using and I used it a little bit longer than one year, I will admit. Um, so speaking of teams, um, the, you know, the final sort of roster members that we'll cover on this in this episode um, as we close out on year or year three um, would have to be the, the, the Wind Riders, Rama and Tano. Uh, Mike, talk about their creation. Well, I, I felt like, you know, in, in it was sort of weird because obviously Demos is the home of the GWF 
and has been since the beginning. And we never had anybody from Demos who actually wrestled in CWF. Um, so I just thought it'd be kind of cool to have these two guys who kind of, you know, show up at a, uh, open tryout, uh, and just sort of, you know, make their, uh, make their mark, but they're really excited because they're fans, you know, they're, they're, they've been watching this happen in their hometown and they say, kind of cool. Let me jump in and be part of it. Yeah, I like that aspect of them a lot. It was easy to make them kind of this, you know, super babyface team um, that was over with the hometown fans. And, you know, even even when they lost, you know, they didn't care. They generated a lot of sympathy. They won matches, too. They were, you know, they were just a lot of fun to use. Um, and, and, and the cool thing that happened is just kind of as a natural progression for me, at, you know, after they'd been around for a while, they started to engage in some matches and they had a couple matches end in DQs. And I was like, let's, let's take them on a little bit more aggressive streak. And so I was able to kind of use them in a way and, and freshen them up as, 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 you know, doing almost kind of having heelish tendencies. And it was just so much fun to get even more mileage out of them by basically doing a you know, heel turn and then eventually turning them back to babyface. And, and, and playing with that was so much fun for me. Um, and, and they provided a lot of opportunities just in general. And they had great matches, you know, usually. Um, and even if they were you know, breaking off in singles competition, to, to face a team they had a rivalry with or whatever it was it, again it was a lot of fun and and i enjoyed them a lot um you, you know they visually you know warner's art uh definitely gave me a mold to you know what to imagine them as you know whether it was like uh midnight rockers or rock and roll express you know that sort of team and it, so it was really fun to to be able to imagine them being you know that kind of uh, uh, team um, and they and they added something to the roster that I don't think we really had at that point. So I, I loved using them. Todd, what about you? Yeah, I mean it's cool to have like your 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 prototypical rockers, rock and roll express type team in there. Uh, I you know for me they were just baby faces, uh, which you know you would expect from that. Yeah, maybe not as a creative on my part, but you know I think definitely had uh, yeah had some good matches with. Uh, you know, some of the other team like defiance and stuff at that, that time. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, another, another great addition there. You know, glad, glad to kind of get, uh, another team in there with, uh, Dorado sundown. Now we obviously needed a new infusion. So that, that was a cool, uh, different twist with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and speaking of exits, you know, Dorado, I'm sundown, sorry, I meant uh, Paladin power, not, uh, not defiance. Obviously defiance was, was done by that point, but yeah, that's what I mean. Sure. Well, well, but you know, it's funny you mentioned that cause I was going to say that, yeah, one of the feuds that I enjoyed with them, a rivalries was, was Paladin power. They, they had some great matches with them. Um, but speaking of tag teams, obviously Dorado sundown is gone. Um, at this point, you know, they had a, a quick run, but a very impactful run. Um, uh, you know, as, as we wrap up here, I do, I do have a couple more questions and I just want to ask, was that, you know, for you guys, did you, did you kind of think, oh man, they're gone already? Or, or were you ready to move on to the next kind of angle and story for Omega and Morpheus? Uh, Mike, I'll ask you that question first. Well, I, I think that uh, whether I was ready or not, it was that's with Tom had already written, so it's kind of boxed. <laughs> uh, sure. No, I mean, I, I would have liked to have them stick around a little bit longer, um, but based on the way the story was written, um, it, it 
they needed to go. And, and plus, it made sense because it allowed the focus to shift to Omega and Morpheus, you know, and yeah. not, you know, like it, that team was only going to be able to stay together for so long anyway. So it, it, it was good that it didn't have to play out like artificially long. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's cool that you mentioned that because one of the sort of parting gifts in a way that that Dorado Sundown left uh, Omega and Morpheus was indeed, um, you know, to to help to sow a little bit of distension in the ranks, which really pushed towards, you know, what had already been kind of a tentative alliance uh, pushed towards Morpheus and and Omega, you know, finally really kicking off that program where they were they were at it tooth and nail. Um, So it it worked in storyline for that very reason. Todd, do, do you kind of have similar feelings about that? Or did you maybe go a different way? I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess in the end it made, it made sense. Yeah. I started to see them go because they were such a dominant tag team for me. You know, I liked having, you know, them kind of running roughshod on everybody there. So, you know, I, I, it was tough to see them go that quickly, but yeah, I think in the end it was, uh, you know, th- them going really helped elevate that, that feud between Omega and Morpheus to the next level. So in the end, I think that it was a, it was a positive. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we, we did get one other uh, element of this particular year, which was an update for Commander Sam. Um, you know, he went to his, his prime card for 2079. Uh, Mike, um, just real quick, w- did you, was there any hesitation on your part to get that prime card, you know, going right then and there? Because, we, you know, we'd, already, we'd only had like a year and a half where he'd been the rookie, and now all of a sudden here he is coming out with, you know, with the atomic drop, and he's got, you know, the, the, the better card. Um, so I'm just curious as to, you know, the thinking behind putting him in that early. Well, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a good time to bring it in because he was already a fighter. Right. And so he just wasn't a wrestler. So it, it would make sense that as he understands the rules, the game, so to speak, that he'd get better faster than the average rookie. So, to me, it, to me, it was a pretty good fit. You know, he had a couple of years under his belt, so now he's ready to take the next step. Yeah, I, you know, and I actually agree with you. And I think that one of the cool things that happens as a result of that is that when Mangus comes in the following year, you know, Sam's ready for him, which is kind of cool. Um, and I and I appreciated that. Um, you know, that he that he picked things up quickly and he kind of, you know, got got to a, 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 a up card upper card level quicker. Um, Todd, any 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 final thoughts on Sam? Well, I will say that uh, Sam, you do not want to face in a torture chamber match uh, because <laughs> I, I had him in the, the Canada Cup in one year, and my lord, that guy just was an offensive powerhouse in a, in a uh, torture chamber match. You could you couldn't get him on defense, you know. <laughs> that, that's my most most lasting memory of him. I must say. Nice, nice. Well, uh, you know, we we did a deep dive, and and uh, I really am so excited about doing this. Um, but at the risk of you know being being too exhaustive uh, and too in depth, uh, we're gonna we're gonna call it here and go home. Um, but that takes us all the way through year three uh, of the uh, classics era, and um, I'm really looking forward to getting back and talking about year four and beyond. Um, you know, this has just been a pleasure because again, it's one of my favorite time periods. Uh, it's, it's a, a, you know, time that 
when I ran it and, and still am running it basically that it, it just provided me with a lot of enjoyment and it, you know, gave me the building blocks for what's going to happen, you know, once I hit and, and merge up with 2087 and that, that rich history that we can have, you know, with being able to go back to the first year. So Mike, thank you so much for insisting on Tom that you, you do this because uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of early classics. I know a lot of people are um, and, and a lot of people are sad that it is currently out of print um, but, uh, uh, thank you for taking the time, you know, to, to talk with me about it and to, you know, to go on, on this, on this journey, um, because it's, it's been a lot of fun and very illuminating for me and hopefully for the listeners as well. Well, no, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, uh, I think, like you said, a lot of people uh, have enjoyed it and that's really satisfying to see how many people have enjoyed that. Uh, you know, having seen it up on eBay a couple times, that's always uh, a little bit, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a little thrill when you see a bidding war going on over something you wrote. So it's uh, it's kind of cool. It did, did pretty yeah. well in the, uh, in the auction uh, a couple of years ago, too. Uh, we had, yeah, we were able to un- unearth uh, two copies, and uh, yeah, I think they uh, fetched $200 a piece, if I remember right. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, Todd, thank you. Uh, as usual, um, I, I'm always thrilled to be able to have the opportunity to talk with you and, you know, get a look uh, at what's going on at FedHQ and, 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 you know, what all we have to be excited about, which is clearly a lot coming into December. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're going to get back together here in a few weeks uh, to talk about all the December releases in depth. Um, I'm really looking forward to that and having Rob on the show to talk about battle lines. So, uh, Todd, thank you so much, my friend. All right. Well, thank you for having us, Sam. And uh, yeah, look forward uh, to the next time we uh, get to chat it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the meantime, everybody, uh, thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves and one another. Uh, Have a wonderful uh, holiday season. Uh, Again, we'll be back next month with uh, uh, all the information on the December releases and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Let us know what you think over on the message boards. Uh, uh, Hit us up and uh, your your comments, questions are always encouraged. So uh, take care and uh, we'll talk to you real soon.